Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello everybody, it's Wednesday, August 29th, 2012, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Bobby Shortle, and I'm in the house with Steve Say. Hello. Bob Ryer. Good evening. And Rob Newmeyer. Hey now. (laughs) (laughs) So Rob has joined us graciously, because this week we're going to be talking about the 50th anniversary of Spider-Man. It's going to be an all Spider-Man type of show. Yay. Uh, we're going to go over favorite storylines, favorite characters, favorite villains, whatever we want to do, um, what Spider-Man means to us. We got some listener reactions and, and uh, comments on this topic. Um, but before that, before that, a lot happened since we last recorded. Mm. A lot happened. Um, one very, very big thing happened, which we will get to um, in, in a couple of minutes. But I want to ease us in. I don't want to jump right into uh, that, what is sure to be interestingly contested story uh, that we're going to talk about. Oh, that one. Uh, hmm. We're going to try our best to be just very factual about it and kind of let you guys tell us what you think about the story. Um, because we all have... I think emotional reactions to it, and I want to kind of cut those off from our perspective because I do too. But we'll get to that. That's the Rob Liefeld story, and we'll get to that in a couple minutes. Um, but a couple, of, well, you could consider them good stories. Announcements of things happened, so that means people are working, which is always a good thing. Um, the first thing they announced, DC announced another Before Watchmen mini. This is only two issues. It's going to be Moloch. Uh, it's J. Michael Straczynski. Um, and with art by Eduardo Risso, uh, who did Spaceman and 100 Bullets. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously, Moloch is a villain in the Watchmen universe, and this got a little bit, uh, I guess people were kind of like rolling their eyes at the announcement, but in fact, if you were to ask me the characters I'd rather see before Watchmen stuff about, it would be characters like this. Characters mm-hmm. I don't really know about. Um, but Bob, what do you, what'd you think of this? No, I agree, because you've got a character there with just Barely a hint of a backstory, just enough to be intriguing. So let's flesh that out instead of revisiting page after page, as we've had most of them, the yeah. last few particularly. Absolutely. Um, Robert, what do you think about this? No, I think that absolutely makes sense. Um, you know, let's learn about stuff we don't know about, and let's not jolt the, uh, how do you say it? Like the, the canon? Uh, yeah, I, I guess mm. you could say that. I don't want to spoil what I already have in my head of the original Watchmen stuff, so... Right. You know. Yeah. There's not much to spoil with Moloch. I mean, Steve, I know you've only read it once, so it's not really a character that you have much connection with. I don't even remember. Yeah. He's the... He's the the one that Rorschach finds, uh, you know, murdered in Watchmen. Yes, okay. You know, where he... he, The 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 one the comedian has visited earlier on. The guy with the ears. Yes, the guy with the ears. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. That's how I remember the room with ears. ears. Yeah, exactly. Um... So yeah, I mean, there's not really much you can spoil about Moloch. You know, th- th- that's a character that we know nothing about. Uh, he's been used in nearly every 
before Watchmen book in some way. So it makes sense that he's getting his own series. Um, the If I had just read Night Owl, the Straczynski thing would have been a little bothersome to me, but I'm going to talk about Dr. Manhattan when we get to our books of the week. So we'll be able to talk about that. The other thing, other ongoing they got again. An ongoing that got announced, sorry, was Morbius, the Living Vampire. Yes. Uh, written by Joe Keating. Um, nice. Which I read the story and I didn't even realize that Thanos, Son of Titan, had been canceled. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even know that until I read this story about this new book hmm. being announced. So Morbius has always been featured pretty heavily in this last Lizard story. Um, you're a huge Spider Man fan. Obviously, we're going to be talking about Spider Man for a long time. What do you think of Morbius getting his own ongoing? I love it. Uh, I mean, back in issue 101 of Amazing Spider-Man, I guess it was. Uh, I mean, I've always had a love for the character, so uh, it, it's great just to to see further adventures of. And he has such a scientific mind, just mm. just like you know Peter. And yeah, uh, so it, it'll be great to to see more of his motives and why he does what he does. Yeah. Do you, what do you think, mm. Steve? Uh, I'm down for it. If somebody can bring me a vampire that is vicious in this day and age, then mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Yeah. Should be cool. He's a very conflicted character. I mean, what do you think? Well, Bob? he started with pure motives. He was trying to cure himself from leukemia or some sort of bloodborne disease and ended up, as, as you do in comic books, with something extra. Right. And he would get very vicious, Steve. He, he, when he turned, it was not pretty to look at. Mm-hmm. Not at all. So, yeah, and he's been, they use him very well, I think, that last uh, arc with Lizard and um, those moments where he lost control and then regained control that there was a tragic sense to the way he was kind of going about himself. So I think that could be interesting fodder for an ongoing. Uh, it, it seems like a character, though, that it just doesn't seem like it's going to sell very well to me. I mean, I don't know, but. Didn't sell well before. Uh, and even a legion of monsters didn't help him, right? No, and, and what was it? Adventures into fear. fear yeah, yeah. And we'll see. Yeah, um, a book I do think will probably sell pretty well. Uh, JLA by Jeff Johns got announced with a interesting cast, to say the least. Um, and Bob, I want to get your opinion on this. So the it's uh, Jeff Johns and David Finch is the artist, and mm-hmm. um, the lineup for the JLA is Martian Manhunter. Green Arrow, Catwoman, Hawkman, Steve Trevor, Stargirl, Katana, Vibe, and this new Green Lantern that we're going to be introduced to in the Zero issue. So what do you think of this, Bob? It sounds like the sort of Keith Giffen, Kevin Maguire, you know, in between Justice League. It can work if they're just tired of telling all the big three all the time. Uh, Finding a villain is now going to be interesting. Their power levels sort of cut drastically. So it's going to have to be smaller stories. Yeah, it just seems so weird to have Catwoman in there also. I mean, cool. Right. But, you know, where does she fit into to that kind of team? I, mean, I guess they look at Marvel and see they managed to get Spider-Man into the Avengers, which still doesn't quite work for me either, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays. I mean, to me, I, I'm a, I, it seems to me that Jeff Johns does his best work when he's working with characters or things that people doubt you know, or, or characters that people don't seem to have a lot of respect for. When he took over Green Lantern, it was not a top book at, at DC, and he made it into a top book at DC. He's doing the same thing right now with Aquaman, which I just caught up on, and is awesome. It's completely awesome. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this is the... His Justice League proper work, I, I feel like, has been okay, but I feel like it's because he's working with characters that... he. He can't really improve on, you know. He's working in uh, with certain stories that he has to do, and his kind of reinvention techniques 
don't really work with Superman and Batman unless he's doing something like Earth One where he can get to do whatever he wants. You know, um, he, he can't really reinvent characters like that on, on the fly. This team, I feel like he can create all new things for them to do. You know, it's, he's working with this new Green Lantern character who has no backstory yet. You know, he's working with Catwoman who's been kind of badly... A bunch of characters actually have been badly, badly, yeah. badly drawn and badly... Um, cared for, including Hawk, Hawkman has had nothing, and we're going to get to that in <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Um, but that's from either of its writers. I'm not giving, if that's not just Liefeld, yeah. uh, the, Tony S. Daniel, the first couple issues are really crappy, mm-hmm. a really crappy book. Um, and that's when I jumped off. So, you know, and, uh, you know, Steve Trevor, he's, they've been kind of pumping him up in this universe a lot. You know, he, he, he's been with the Justice League, he's been with Justice League Dark. So, it's been interesting to see what's going on. Is he um, there, Maria Hill? Is that what's? Uh, yeah, yes, he's, the he liaison yeah. kind. Okay. And plus, uh, with Star Girl, Star Girl's his creation to begin with. So you know he could do whatever he wants with her. I, I absolutely love that character mm-hmm. when she was in the JSA. So mm-hmm. should be good. And having Martian Manhunter in a book like this should be pretty cool. I mean, I haven't been reading Stormwatch, and that's a book he was in before this, right? Yeah, he left that team already. Yeah, so yeah. this should be interesting to, to see. Sure. Steve, what do you think about this? Um, well, as far as Martian Manhunter and uh, Stormwatch, in my opinion, he was very lost okay. uh, on that book. He just, there was so much going on, so much cosmic stuff, and so many other characters were focused on much more so than, than he was. I mm-hmm. barely even remember him in the book. Um, honestly, you guys pretty much said everything that... Uh, that I was gonna say about. It. I mean, I'm I'm not too familiar with the cast. Mm-hmm. I know obviously I know some of them, but um, like Stargirl, no idea. Uh, a couple of the people vibe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is either. Yeah, New Green Lantern is completely <laughs> up for grabs. Yeah. Um, I've never read anything Green Lantern, so mm-hmm. um, no. I mean, like like anything else that comes out that I don't know much about, like put it in front of me and mm-hmm. impress me and like let me you know I'll, I'm up for it. Whatever. Now, to date, the Justice League has been sort of iffy. Yeah, it's been so hit or miss. Can't, can't hurt to try a new direction with somebody who's willing to take a chance. No, and I don't... Do you think this means they're going to end... They're not going to end Justice League. No, no, they just want... Kind of like the Avengers formula or the Justice League formula like they used to have. Right, okay, uh, that's, what, that's what I was thinking. You know, just as many books with, with the same theme. Another team. Do you think Johns will stay on Justice League? Yeah, yeah well, supposedly he's leaving Aquaman. Oh, really? With issue 16. No! <laughs> oh, you didn't know that, No, huh? I didn't know that, no. Yeah. That sucks. Mm-hmm. No. That sucks. Yep, so go- goodbye, Aquaman. Yeah, I was hoping for another, like, you know, like... I knew that, didn't I? Yeah, I we thought... talked I, about that. I could have sworn I said, oh, well. Shit. I was hoping for another, like, six-year run, like his Green Lantern run. No. Uh, that no. sucks. Uh, because he's really done great things with that character. Oh, I know. I mean, brought him from the joke he was yeah. to what he is now, and... It's kind of scary because I don't want the character just to fade back to into go back. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised he didn't bring him along into the Justice League. He's in Justice League, right? But and his version of it. Yeah, I mean, he is sort of. I mean, that, it's just I in what he's been doing with the, with Aquaman. It's not even about the character as much as he's been like recreating and like revamping the mythos of the character. You know, and, and that's he's been. I mean. I mean, I know Black Manta is a big is a big villain. was always a big villain, but Black Manta is a badass in Aquaman, mm-hmm. you know, a, and a very formidable villain. And um, the incorporation of that others team that they've been they've been dealing with has been, just been really interesting stuff, you know. And I'm ty- I'm sad to see it be going away, but 
I'm excited for this book. Like I said, I, I like John's work, so I want to see him do stuff like this because I feel like this is getting him, him getting to just do whatever he wants to do, and that's what I'd like to see him do. Um, another thing happened. Stan Lee talked about his uh, favorite and, well, specifically the Marvel movies he does not like. Oh, yeah. I see oh, really? Yeah. yeah. He said, I would like to see the Hulk be smaller in the first two movies, and I don't like the way Doctor Doom was portrayed in Fantastic Four. Lee said. Now, with Daredevil, they just wrote the whole thing wrong. They made him too tragic. That's not the way I wrote him. I think they're working on a new Daredevil movie, and it'll be better. So hold your judgment until then. Um, well, that was canceled, so that's... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, it's funny, because, I mean, that's not the way he wrote Daredevil, but that's not... That's the way that a lot of other people wrote Daredevil. Yeah, I mean, that's what everyone's used to at this point. Yeah. Uh, it's nearer to the Miller, but not quite Frank Miller's in the movie. Maybe maybe yeah. that movie version is more like what Wade's doing now. In some ways. Mm. I don't know. Tragic, but not completely off the wall. Right. Yeah. Um, and then they asked him about characters that he would like to see on the screen, and he explained, Deadpool is such a popular character, I'd be surprised he wasn't in his own movie in the near future, or introduced in another movie first. They're thinking about a Doctor Strange movie, a Black Panther movie, an Ant-Man movie. There are just so many ideas in the works right now at Marvel. <laughs> so no. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, Deadpool was introduced in another movie. Yeah, does he does, like does he keep up on no. his own stuff? <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't really work for them anymore. Gets yeah. a check here and there, and that's about it. I'm he's sure in, he's in all the movies. But yeah, that's when he finds out there's a movie. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's interesting to hear him talk about that. Like, it's funny to me that he even knows Deadpool's a character. I was just about yeah. to say that. Yeah. It's, it's, like, how does he even know who Deadpool is? Yeah, which is funny to me. He go Deadpool goes back twenty well, five. Uh, ooh, no. No, New Mutants, uh, 98. So, so, what year would that be? I think that's, like, mid-90s. This is probably, like, oh, 20 okay. years. Well, okay, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he was more active then. That's true. That's absolutely true. Um, I mean, it's interesting to hear him talk about that, because he doesn't really ever say anything negative, ever. You know, so, it's interesting to hear him say that kind of stuff. So, speaking of negativity... <laughs> we will finally get the t- we'll talk about this quickly and kind of get the lowdown for anybody who's not caught up I just feel like if we don't say anything it's a little bit it would be a little remiss not to say anything um, so this past I guess it was Thursday I think it was Thursday I think it was yes. right around there <clears throat> it was um, Rob Liefeld announced on Twitter that he was quitting DC um, and I'll just read a couple of the tweets that he let out. Um, <laughs> these, are, these are the early ones. This is before her, the, the feud began. Okay. Uh, just finished sending my thank you used to DC personnel. Officially got off the DC 52 treadmill this morning. Uh, Scott Clark will be replacing me on Deathstroke. Marat will be continuing his work on Grifter. I had a great time at DC. I believe in what DC is doing, but had to preserve my sanity. I walked off all three books. Can't wait to see any attempts to spin. I have every email. This is the fourth time I've quit in the last four months. This time it will stick. Reasons are the same everyone, as everyone's that you hear. I lasted a few months longer than I thought possible. Massive indecision, last minute, and I mean last minute changes that alter everything. Editor pissing contests. No thanks. So that's why well, he leaves. Now, to be fair to him, George Perez, when he left Superman a couple months ago, basically said the same thing. Um, so if he had left it at that, one could understand, because, listen, mm-hmm. we don't work at DC. We don't know what goes on behind the scenes. They might have, they might have fudged with the scripts the day before they went to uh, print, you know? Um, it's stuff that came after that. Agreed. That, that became a problem. Um, 
Uh, so Liefeld called um, editor Brian Smith, who is with, I guess was the editor on his books, mm-hmm. um, a little bitch and a big dick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then many, many DC writers came to his, came to his defense, Brian Smith's. Um, Even Marvel writers, too. Yeah. Scott Snyder, among them, Gail Simone, a, a ton of people. Um, Tom Brevoort, who is one of the editors at Marvel, came to his defense. Um, he, Snyder said, uh, from my small experience with him, Smith has been a great guy to work with, to be fair. I know absolutely nothing of what, on, what went on on Rob's books. Um, Rob has always been really supportive of me and Jeff and the others. But I'd feel bad having worked with Smitty on Night of the Owls and now Joker if I didn't say that he's been a stand-up guy to deal with. Again, nothing against anyone. Just deal with Smitty every week now, and I feel bad not saying. Um, So that tweet went out. And then at some point, Rob Liefeld... Now, there's a billion tweets on Rob Liefeld, and I I urge anyone who wants to know a fuller story to go look at his wall, because it's it's all there. It's literally all there. he tweeted something that said, it's not you, it never has been, it's Batman. Didn't say who he was talking about. Um, so apparently, uh, Scott Snyder decided to private message Rob Liefeld and ask, hey, you know, what's going on? Um, <laughs> S- Rob Liefeld decided at some point that he would release, he literally took pictures of the screen didn't take screen caps took actual <laughs> photographs of his yeah. crack screen of his yes. crack screen all right and that's great release all the direct messages between him and scott snyder but from scott snyder i'll ask you privately rob you've always been supportive of me and i have been the same but was that batman comment aimed at me i'll wait to hear back from you so this is from scott from rob liefeld really scott are you the only guy working on batman that's my answer from scott snyder as the head batman writer and someone who just defended smitty a bit and you and I would assume you're talking about me. Not so. I ask because everyone is asking me to respond to you, but, I'm, but I am giving this the benefit of the doubt and hoping you're not talking about me. I can assure you Batman doesn't sell the way it does because it's Batman. It sells the way because of me and Greg. Um, then, this is Rob Liefeld's answer. When I show some stats, it'll be clear I'm speaking of not you. I could give two shits about what you say pro or con about anyone. Sorry. Scott Snyder. Greg will reiterate this that more strongly than me to you. I can assure you if you are talking about us. And then he says, um, uh, wasn't aware you were a head Batman writer. Ooh, nice title. That's a nice title you're into. If, if you're into that, laugh out loud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyone in Batman, any, this is Scott Snyder, anyone on Batman is called head Batman writer. It's called the lead book by editorial. To Scott Snyder, you're fucking crazy. To Scott Snyder, this is from Rob Liefeld. We aren't doing this in private anymore. Scott Snyder, it's not specific to me, but I'm not sure why you're so angry at me. Like I've said, I've, not, I've always been in your corner at DC. Scott Snyder again, dude, why are you mad at me? I'm genuinely confused. <laughs> and so Liefeld decided to throw these out there. Um, and it's just a little bit crazy. Because it's a private conversation that he made public. Regardless of what you think of, of the situation, what you think of Rob Liefeld as a person, we think of Scott Snyder as a person. Now, we have a little bit different perspective because we've all talked to Scott Snyder. He, he seems like a very humble, nice person. I don't know what Scott Snyder's relationship is with Rob Liefeld in the background at all. Um, but to me, releasing a private conversation is a breach of trust and a problem. I mean, what do you mm-hmm. think, Bob? Well, at the end of the day, to overuse that terrible mm-hmm. cliche... Scott Snyder went on other forums and Twitter and apologized mm-hmm. for his own conduct. Right. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't go negative. I should, this isn't about that. I'm not about that. 
which shows a hell of a lot of class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was after the the private messages were released, there was still plenty of pot shots between the two of them. Yeah, some very funny ones. Some pouch comments made by <laughs> by Scott. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I mean. Still, it was a kind of a dickish move to to release the messages. What do you think? You trust me. You do not want my opinion on okay. any of this. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's one more section of this. <laughs> now it turned public. All right. So I'll read the public comments real quick. Rob Liefeld, it's not you. It's never been. It's Batman. Scott Snyder. I can assure you, Batman doesn't sell the way it does because it's Batman. It sells that way because of me and Greg. Um, get over yourself, you pretentious prick. At Scott Snyder, this is Rob Liefeld talking. <laughs> Um, been berated in DMs by Scott Snyder this morning. Excuse me if I don't marvel at your amazing abilities to write Batman. Piss off. I like to think that if you're going to wave your ego around on Batman, you remember all that came before you. Holy crap. Average Batman book sells 80K. Nuff said. Um, then Scott Snyder writes back, which I think is pretty funny. He writes back, nice. Your Twitter feed's the best thing you've written all year. <laughs> A smiley face. Rob Liefeld, of course, because it's not edited. Um, Scott Snyder... Oh, I'll give you credit, Rob. Batman might sell in spite of me and Greg Capullo, as you say, but Deathstroke and Hawkman failed because of you. Oof. Credit where credit's due, brother. That's all I'll say on that. Ah, <laughs> uh, comics. This is Scott Snyder. Um, Rob Liefeld says that his sales boosted those, his, his involvement in those, in those books boosted sales on them. No, they didn't. Um, Liefeld, you can put that in your pouch and keep it for later, <laughs> said Scott Snyder. Um, one word, haunt. Two words, uh-huh. swamp thing. Not all creations equal. This is Rob Liefeld. Rob Liefeld, Batman is number one selling character in history of the biz, period, end of story, will endure beyond creator careers. Um, I want a cage match. That's what I want. He, he, he makes the, a good point in that Batman has a better baseline than mm-hmm. the other DC books because it's Batman, but then right. it's what you do with it from there, both in terms of the quantity of books sold and the quality of stories, yeah. both but as fans are clamoring for Scott Snyder mm-hmm. and the industry itself. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Um, there was – now, the Tom Brevoort exchange – Oh, this should be good. I haven't um, heard this someone one. asked oh, th- him. This is the best. <laughs> someone asked him if now that Liefeld was gone from DC, that they bring him back to Marvel. And Tom said, after the Twitter flame out, I can't say I'd be in a hurry to get onto that train. <laughs> um, and then Tom, he tweeted a couple more times, you know, backing the DC editors um, that Liefeld had promised working with. Rob Liefeld, someone told me that that loser, fat ass Brevort was talking trash <laughs> about me today. I dropped him a while back. I got to coach football games out. Sorry they passed you over for EIC, Tommy B. Get over it and get back to mixing and matching Avengers and X-Men. Doucher. Um, I know, and this is so Rob, I know Tommy B. Why don't you all tell Kirkman how concerned you are for his future post-Marvel? That's our funniest bit that we howl at. Uh, Tom Brevoort writes back, you remain a sweetheart, Rob. Don't go changing. Also feel free to say any of this to my face, you feckless bully. Um, Tom Brevoort takes a big man to go postal publicly on a young editor like that. Um, Rob Liefeld, happy to Tom Brevoort that you can bump me with your gut. And FYI, I don't drink, haven't touched liquor in 30 years. Um, so that was a big thing. And I will say this, he, he was, Liefeld, Liefeld was very quick to talk about his, his collaborators and his other books and be kind to them, but there was a tweet that was deleted that he deleted himself from his account. Oh, um, oh, I think a listener wrote to him um, I'm not one to bash but I was reading Grifter in spite of Clark's art he just doesn't do it for you and Liefeld, Liefeld wrote back tell me about it I had to work with that crap 
he deleted that tweet from his feed, um, which is funny. That that's the t- tweet he deletes from his feed of all the things I written on his yeah. wall. So that's a large chunk of what he wrote on his wall. Um, again, we have all kind of, I think, emotional connections to, to this in some ways. Um, we're also obviously all really big fans of Scott's, so mm-hmm. it's tough for us to talk. Um, I think subject uh, objectively about this, we can talk subjectively about it very yeah. well. Um, so I don't want to go into bashing Rob Liefeld because. Um, on the surface, it looks like he's being a crazy asshole. However, I don't know what goes on behind the scenes there. I don't know what interactions Scott Snyder and Rob Eiffel have had in the past together. I don't know what the situation is. But the surface argument makes Rob Liefeld look like an idiot. You, you know? What do you want to say? You can say something, Steve. It's okay. All right. <laughs> this is just your opinion. It's, no. it's okay. I just, I, I found, I mean, I, I kept up on the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I found, uh, you know, the Liefeld portion of it to be extraordinarily childish. Mm-hmm. And um, I just couldn't help but think of all the people that he's worked with. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that this whole thing comes down on him, and and in the end, he'll be remembered for it. But I just, all the friends, all the people that you worked with throughout the months or the years on all of this stuff, that you're you're putting all of D.C. I mean, I know it's it's focused on him, but all of D.C. has caught, like, a little bit of bad wind. And now people that were shaky yeah. on DC to begin with are now like readers are leaving them all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I also think that the support that he had received from fanboys and from, I guess, fans of his, I understand you're a fan. You want to come to the defense, but a lot of what I saw was just absolutely ludicrous. And I'll, I'll give you just one example. There was somebody that tweeted to him that said, You've been in the business long enough where you get to say whatever you damn well please and everyone just has to deal with it. That oh. is not true. No. That is not true. Mm-hmm. You're making you're you're creating an imposition for everyone that was ever in your corner while you were probably making waves behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I don't know what went on. Right. I'm not going to pretend like I do. Mm-hmm. Um all of this stuff just makes me wish that MTV Celebrity Deathmatch would come back <laughs> so that we could have Liefeld do, you know, a drag out fight. Anyway, right, yeah. um, I'm not going to say too much more. I just um, I just thought the whole thing was extraordinarily unprofessional. Yes. And, um, I mean, my opinion of him, I didn't really have one before this. I wasn't really too familiar mm-hmm. with him. And now I, I personally just, I want nothing to do with him. And that's that's very fair. I mean, he he's put out a... When you have that big of a public face, you have to accept those consequences. Now, I do not think him speaking out about the problems at DC Editorial are necessarily a problem, you know, because if, if George, per- you know, it's funny, because if you look at the comments on the George Perez story, they're all very, oh, George, you shouldn't take that stuff. And you look at the Liefeld comments, and this is before the crazy Scott Snyder mm-hmm. stuff, and they're like, fuck Rob Liefeld, you know? <laughs> so, you know, it's about the messenger, and Rob, is, Rob Liefeld has obviously made a lot of enemies in his time. Um, you know, he did a lot of things that made a lot of people unhappy. And whenever he does anything, people want to jump on him. And on this show prior, we've talked about things that he said, and I've been very even-handed, and we think we've all been even-handed about, about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're just talking about the problems at a corporation, that's one thing. But when you start attacking people... And right, putting that human face yeah, when you yeah, it. When you name names, yeah. you're creating a stage for yourself. Yes, yeah. And again, like I was saying, like this, young, this guy's an editor. Apparently he has not been in the business that long. He's trying to make his living too. He's not, you know, he's not some evil empire. So it's tough to do that. You know, you, you, yeah. So Bobby in, in some ways, this may end up helping him. 
because with the yeah. rest of DC's writers and artists jumping to his defense, apparently Gail Simone did and a lot of other people, it may help him. It may give him mm-hmm. some backing that corporate may say, oh, wait a minute. Other people like him. We, let's let's hang in with him for a while. You're talking Just about Life Elder Snyder? Smith. Oh, Smith. Oh, Brian Smith. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. And that's good. Yeah, All those writers did jump to his defense. Um, and to be fair to those writers who had jumped to the editor's defense, they were all very even-handed. They None of them were like, oh, Rob's an idiot. You know, they were just like, listen, like I read that tweet from Snyder, and he yeah. was just saying, look, I'm not saying I know what was going on, but the only time I've talked to this guy, he's been great. So, I mean, I, I want to know what everybody out there thinks. I, I think we all do. I think we all want to know what our listeners think of this. Yeah. Um, maybe people have been reading comics longer than Steve and I have been. You know, obviously, I've never, I don't think I've ever read something that Rob Liefeld wrote. Or Drew, so... I have a couple of his drawings in my phone. <laughs> um, so I don't have a big opinion about this. Bob obviously has a very strong opinion because Bob not me. I No, I, not me. I have no opinion on the this. The Heroes Reborn era and stuff. So I think... And I, I think... I think Rob has kind of... Most interesting opinion because you haven't seemed to have a lot of venom towards Liefeld in the times I've talked to you, but I don't think you're a big fan of his. Yeah, no. I mean... Um, <clears throat> I'm not a fan of his, obviously, but I won't say, I'm not the kind of person that sits there and trashes someone. Right. I just, you know, just be nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, Seriously. Can we all just get along? Well, yeah, thank you, Rodney, yeah, in, in his memory. As long as he was doing books I wasn't reading, if he wanted to write and draw that sort of stuff, but at some level, I looked at he and his image colleagues as the four horsemen of the comics apocalypse. <laughs> Mm. in that they created the speculator market and, and turned everything sort of upside down and variants and pneumatic women on the covers and all mm-hmm. the rest of it. So I'm a, I was already tweaked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Heroes Reborn was then an insult. And so I, 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 am, I am no longer able to be completely objective. I right. managed to mostly hold it in, you as did. we've Absolutely. discussed all this. But, Absolutely. So, but again, I think he did make a valid point. Mm-hmm. The, the oh, pardon me for saying this out loud. The dick move of the year was mm. putting this all out publicly. Yeah, mm-hmm. and once you do that, you, you then have to accept the consequences of everybody ganging up on you, mm-hmm. and you can't run off and coach a football game. Right. Mm. Stay in and, and 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 deal with it. Yeah. What I do want to see though is kind of like a what if social media was was back in the day like uh, fake fights between you know like Kirby and Lee and so if so, someone <laughs> no, dis- just disco walking out the door yeah someone <laughs> please make make some some fake conversations like that with with Twitter handles <laughs> right. like if it was them talking cuz that would be great but i bet you because they had to do it either face to face or by letter or whatever to actually resign it was much different it, right, you have yeah. a chance to e- either think about it because you're putting it on paper, mm-hmm. or you're face to face with someone you can't be a bully. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I-, I wonder what Jim Lee thinks about all of this. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he was surprisingly quiet. Yeah, but, uh, not even surprisingly. Yeah. I mean, because he's one of those guys, but he's now company man at DC. He's one of the heads of DC. So I wonder what what he thinks of all of this and what his buddy Rob Liefeld. Is doing. Uh, you get you, you. You're Bruce Ismay, and you jump in the lifeboat and let the thing sink. Right. That's yeah. what you do. <laughs> I think that's a good way to end it. Do anybody just want to say anything before we move on? Nah. To more positive things. So yes. again, guys, if you want, I want to know what you guys think at Talking Comics. Info at TalkingComicBooks.com. Let us know this, what you guys. think. Yeah, this could be fun. It could be mm-hmm. definitely be fun. Um. So let's go into our book of the week. Uh, Yay. <laughs> some happy <laughs> stuff. Bob, you're going to talk about something that we've talked about in the past, but you've just kind of. You've, got, you, you've just read, correct? Right, but it's going to be at the end of a quick little... Okay, so okay, go ahead, Bob. You, quick, you start out A couple, couple of little quick ones. First is, I have just 
funded my first Kickstarter project. Very nice. nice. All of 22 bucks, but... Um, <laughs> hey, it's not bad. Yeah. There you go. It's called Molly Danger. Okay. And it, right now, it needs to get to 45000 It was at, it's about 630 at $42,400. Nice. I got that in my couch. I'll it, help. It only, uh, it, only, it only runs through Friday. Okay. So we're trying to get this on. It is Jamal Eigel, who did Supergirl for three or four years, did Zatanna, did some work for DC, and on all sorts of books, and a little bit over at Marvel, New Warriors. And Molly Danger is the world's strongest 10-year-old. Okay. Apparently immortal. She's been protecting her little city for 20 years. Hmm. But she's a regular little girl with a regular problem, so she's the most popular girl around, but also the loneliest, because she doesn't have anything. Uh, Mr. Eichel has a, a four-year-old girl he just read Dr. Seuss to <laughs> and realized that he couldn't read her comic books, that there was nothing on the stands that wasn't either in one of my usual rants about things, and he's got it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's nothing for little ones that isn't either too much or too little. Mm. So he decided to do this sort of all-ages book the way they were done 25-odd years ago. I came across this because of a great interview with Gail Simone on our, our competition, CBR, <laughs> and then went right over to Kickstarter. He has a great little video at the start of this. Uh, the, the pages look absolutely charming, all sorts of things. Uh, levels of funding from like a buck okay, up yeah. to thousands, including mm-hmm. retailer ones. Where you can get 100 copies of the book. He come and does a, he'll do a signing at your store and <laughs> draw pictures. And they actually had a new one for a, uh, it's a cover of a Doctor, uh, Doctor Who Star Trek crossover. Yeah. It's the original painting for a thousand bucks. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So um, that's that's going up there. So people should check in on Molly Danger on Kickstarter. We'll put a link to it um, in the okay. show notes. So if you're looking at the post, it'll be in there. And Great. just a side note, as far as CBR being competition, they have been known to repost a number of our articles on their website. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. So, so thank you, are, thank you to them. Yes, yeah. they are. In there fact, are brothers uh, in arms, friends, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. So thank you very much, CBR. <laughs> uh, also, want to talk briefly about Rocketeer. Absolutely, let's do by it by Mark Wade, which is just. <laughs> Pretty amazing. I was inclined to be wary of this. I love this character. It's really hard to, to do this right. It's that period piece. And they've done the two minis, which are just short little stories. Those all work because it's five pages, and you mm-hmm. can't really screw it up. This is just wonderful. Uh, Chris Samney, who's taking over Daredevil. He's been actually doing Daredevil. He has been? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, instead of doing an imitation Dave Stevens... We do something completely different that is still period evocative that really, really works. It's all our regular cast of characters and a couple of new ones. It's starting to look pretty grim for the Rocketeer as we move <laughs> into the next issue. We right, end on yeah. kind of a cliffhanger. Then there's... Wait, you were talking go about ahead. Yeah, well, I, I read oh, Rocketeer. I'm yeah, oh, and oh, I'm as sorry. A, as, a, as a first-time reader of Rocketeer anywhere or anything, I have a question for Bob. I have to, well, an observation and a question. Okay. One... Was Betty is, is was Betty always such a bitch? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> really? Because I is that the way that she is all the time? She uh, she's put upon. She's she's put upon by Cliff's running out to do stuff and looking at other girls and being too protective and too demanding, and she wants to be her own woman. Is there more to her than that, though? If you go back to the original Dave Stevens stuff, a little bit. She's walked out on him a couple of times and come back. And that's the main, like, that's the female lead? Of- that's the female lead. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, <laughs> and my other, my observation was, I, I read it the first time I ever read um, Rocketeer anything. I really, really enjoyed it up until a point. 
I got I there were people that were saying that they got very um it started to get confusing. There was a I don't want to spoil anything, but about like three quarters of the way through the book, there was like two pages that all of a sudden I felt like I was reading a different comic. Or not even reading a different comic, mm-hmm. but that was just there unless you were familiar with the way that the Rocketeer On board uh, the ship or Yeah, yeah. It just I the way that I felt about it, I've never read Rocketeer. I only saw the movie once when it was first released okay. years ago. So I'm going in really fresh and I was following it and I was following it and I was really enjoying myself. And then all of a sudden I felt like the book had shifted gears and I became almost completely confused. Not to mention the fact that I thought that Betty was a total bitch. <laughs> I, w- I will say something. Um, sure. I, I think, and uh, Joey Esposito actually talks about this in his review. And, well, he talked about it on Twitter. And he talked he about said, it on the just podcast. go with it. He said, basically, like, there is no continuity. He's like, you, you're, you're trained as a comic book reader to believe that there is something you're supposed to be knowing when you're reading this. But you, I don't think Bob knows any more of those people on that ship. And what's in that cargo? Only the guy who's had a brain operation. He okay. goes all the way back to the beginning. But the, the master is somebody new. Right. So we're we're coming in cold to all that, right? Yeah. But I felt like it was very, um, it was very like like you know the, the whole '30s thing. Like it was very set in its presentation, and then all of a sudden it turned into like almost like a like a Lovecraftian, strange like dark story kind of thing, well, which I normally love. But it completely hit me from left field and and just mm-hmm. left me really confused. It's a it's in some ways a '30s fantasy because that ship is the venture from King Kong. Yeah. Okay. And they even make mention of they were on Skull Island. Right. So they put there's some sort of thing going on there. Right. I well, say, yeah. I mean, there's certainly right. something in the cargo right. hold. So but, uh, it, it, of doom but, of doom. Right. But the the, doom. the the old book would change gears, where all of a sudden you'd see that Rondo Hatton looking guy mm-hmm. show her no one and fold people in half. Right. It, it, because old movies did that. There, there were things like the old Dark House mysteries where it would be. Horror mixed with comedy and adventure. So, give it a give it another try. No, no, give it another I, no, I did. Don't get at. me wrong. I, I say what I said, but mm-hmm. I did enjoy it, and I will be picking up number two. Right. I'm hoping that the jarring feeling that I felt toward the end of the book will kind of be explained or or will be abated by the second issue. Well, I think what'll Absolutely. happen even the first time yeah. around, each each story itself was very episodic as you went from character to character. So yeah. I think it's what he's doing, he's doing what Stevens did. Right. But it's just, if you've never encountered them before, it is different. Yeah. What do you think, Rob? I quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah, I liked it a lot. Just great pacing um and I mean nothing new to add to what you guys said, yeah. but uh I am very excited to see where it's going. Okay. That Mark Wade. That Mark one. Wade. He's um, very good. Yeah. Before we get He's into book a of the week, yeah. a, a quick uh, <laughs> all right. Sec- Secret Avengers 30, which as I'm reading this, since it's all sort of going to nothing because we're doing Marvel now mm-hmm. and changing, uh, it's you know the, the Abyss and Serpent Crowns or whatever. But there's a, there's a panel here I'd like Steve to take a shot at in, <clears> in, in a... Um, <laughs> It's it's uh, Taskmaster escaping from our our heroes on his little motorbike. All right, Steve. I'm go just going to explain to the audience really quick. Whenever I see Taskmaster, I think of Skeletor. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to do my my best Skeletor. Again, not for any preparation. Oh, I got to get in the mood. Hold on. Yeah, He-Man. <laughs> I just got to get that out there. All right. Uh, move, Tidhead. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, the top tidhead. of page like. 
12. Uh, I haven't called anybody a tithead in a really yeah, long time, I let alone in a Skeletor voice. I can't recall it coming up in an Avengers comic of any kind, <laughs> ever. So I just found it interesting, and I can't wait to see Captain America say it somewhere mm. about three months from now. Rated Teen Plus. Move, there you go. tithead. Anyway. A now, little, for, quick, a little aside real quick, because uh, it's in my sure. head right now. Uh, his name is Taskmaster, right? Yeah. So that brought to my mind, I, I got my friend Brad for his birthday. I got him the first season of Young Justice. Okay. And like the second episode, Sportsmaster Sports- shows up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they go, hey, Sportsmaster. And he yeah. turns to me and he goes, Sportsmaster? <laughs> <laughs> Stupidest name. Yeah. 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 I tweeted something about that. Yeah. I was like, Sportsmaster is the dumbest name for a villain yeah. ever. He fought, he fought the Green Lantern with a tennis racket. Literally. <laughs> well, it was wood. Oh. And he was, you know, allergic to it's wood like back in the old It's like if your gym teacher became a, a supervillain. Yeah. Well, do you know? I like that, Stephanie. Stephanie Brown. Do you know what her her dad's name was? No, Clue Master. I can deal with Clue Master. Sports oh, Master. <laughs> um. So, book of the week. We're, book of we, the week. We, we'll do it just briefly because it has been talked about. But uh, on was everyone's recommendation here, I picked up "I Kill Giants" by yes. Joe Kelly and Jim Ken Nomura, and I have to say that this is. One of the most emotional things I've encountered in any Absolutely. media. Awesome. Mm-hmm. You, I, I'm not going to spoil any of this, but Barbara Thorson is just a brilliant, brilliant character. Mm-hmm. Yep. The interactions with all the other people in this are, they're real and genuine human beings mm-hmm. and just absolutely touching. And if people haven't bought this on everybody else's recommendation around here, just go buy it. Just yeah. Don't worry about whatever money you spend, buy it. I bought the giant hardcover for the DVD extra, so to speak, and it was I gotta get pretty that. a lot of fun. I got to yeah. get that. Yeah. Steve just got it, too. <laughs> I did, <laughs> and I have a little bit of an announcement to make. Um, I've been trying for, I guess, since we started this, or not since we started this, a couple months in, that um, it's time for me to get another tattoo. Okay. I have many. And I've been trying. I want to get a comic-related one, but I don't want to get the bat symbol. Mm-hmm. I don't want anything like that. And I was trying to choose something that meant a lot to me, and I've decided. I haven't chosen the panel yet or, or the pose yet, but I, in the very near future, will be getting an I Kill Giants tattoo. Ooh. Awesome. Yay. Very nice. Yes. Very cool. So maybe we'll involve our listeners a little bit in choosing the, uh, the, the design. Hmm. Very, very cool. Awesome. Yeah, that'd a be contest. Great. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm glad that you enjoyed it, Bob. Oh, loved it. Yeah, it's pretty great. Um, That's it for me after a half hour, so who's next? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'll go real quick. Uh, so it's funny. Last week we talked about I talked about how much I didn't like, how much I kind of had a very moderate dislike for Rorschach before mm-hmm. watching Rorschach, and expressed you know very kind of almost boredom with the, the last of these Her. books that come out before Watchmen, <laughs> um, Doctor Manhattan. When they announced it, I wasn't even excited to see a Doctor Manhattan book. And after we've gone through what we've gone through, I just was not excited to read it. Um, after I read it, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's pretty much, it's not an imitation, but it's very much in the style of Watchmen 4. Uh, the, you know, the, the kind of document had an origin issue where he's going through, he's like, you know, it's July 16th, you know, 19th, mm-hmm. whatever, that issue. Um, the issue structured in that way. And it's kind of reacclimating you, the character of Dr. Manhattan, in a lot of ways. And through the, most of the issue, there's not a ton of new ground struck. But what I will say is Straczynski captures the voice of Dr. Manhattan better than any writer has captured any character's voice. I, like, I think Silk Spectre is a great book, but it doesn't, to me, 
you know, see, like, it doesn't feel like Alan Moore could have writ- wrote, written it, wrote mm-hmm. it, written wrote it, it, you know? Hmm. Um, and that's partly because, you know, Laurie Jupiter is not a very heavily defined character no. in Watchmen. So, you know, Darwin Cook is doing a lot of playing because he has a lot of room to play. Um, you know, Dr. Manhattan, much like Rorschach, is one of the most identifiable characters and also the most unique characters in those books. You, Dr. Manhattan has a very specific way of speaking, a very specific way of acting, and it's tough to, you know, kind of copy that. And Sergensky does a great job. He, he's thoughtful and musing and um, philosophical, and the book deals with, you know, quantum mechanics, and it doesn't shirk any of those really um, heady things that Dr. Manhattan's all about. And then the end of the book takes it in a completely different direction in a way that goes, okay, I understand why this book exists because it's going to do something to Dr. Manhattan that's never been done before. Hmm. Um, it, you know, he decides, to, you know, because the whole deal with Dr. Manhattan is he can kind of travel throughout his consciousness. There's no time to Dr. Manhattan. You know, he's, sure. it's 300 years in the future. It's 15 years in the past. It doesn't matter to him. He can kind of travel. He decides to travel to a point he's never traveled before and something happens that he could never have predicted. Um, and for somebody who can predict everything that happens to them, that's very interesting. So I'm really, I'm really excited to see what happens. The Adam Hughes art is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. I mean, that's, that's no surprise. He doesn't manage to slip in one of his characteristic, you know, sexy women. You see Laurie at one point, and she looks very sultry, mm-hmm. especially for a 16-year-old girl. Hmm. But am mm. I the only one who read it? Rob, did you read it? Yeah, I did read it. What did you think of it? I found it very enjoyable. I think it's probably one of my favorite uh, Watchmen series so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I think I'm the only, we're the only two, right? You guys, yeah, did you guys I, read it? I, I didn't read it, but after listening to you talk about yeah. it, I might pick it up tomorrow, yeah. uh, today. Cool. Me the same. I leafed through it, and it did look great. Straczynski, I'm iffy with. Right, yeah. And, okay, what you're saying, yeah, that does seem to capture that character. I'll give that a shot. Cool, awesome. And I will say this, uh, Brilliant by uh, Bendis and Begley came out, and it was great. I, I think it's the best issue uh, of the series so far. Ooh. Um, a lot of two big reveals That's in it. That's a tall order. Yeah. yeah. Two big reveals in it, and it, it works really, really well. And it's the classic kind of Bendis issue because they're just kind of in a room talking the whole time. <laughs> um, and it's, but it's great. You know, everything they're saying, the way he structures it, it's just, it's just great. Sometimes those are the best issues. Yeah. Um, two, two really great issues. I actually had a, I think, there wasn't much I didn't like that I read uh, this week. So I had a pretty good week for hmm. all of that. Um, Steve. What do you got for us? All right. Well, I had a uh, I had a very off week. I had a very um, chaotic, personal, non productive week. But <laughs> lucky for us, the one thing that I did read was awesome. So uh, of course, I'm talking about uh, from Kaboom Studios, Adventure Time number seven. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> um, we've talked about Adventure Time s- several times on the show before, but um, the thing about this book, and I'm just gonna I'm, I'm Going back a little bit, the last issue, what happened was Princess Bubblegum invented a time machine, and she let yeah, of course, as she does. <laughs> um, she's very sciencey. She's always you know inventing stuff. And Jake, who is uh, kind of like the the Jim Belushi of the of the of Adventure Time world, always up to something. He gets his hands on it, and basically the idea is that they can do whatever they want so long as they can press the button. They can go back and they can fix everything like it never happened. Mm-hmm. The only problem is that the machine breaks and he needs to get it fixed. So what happens is they bring it to BMO, who is this little like Game Boy type (laughs) of thing. They play video games on him and such. They bring it to him who suggests that they bring it to the, um, what is is his name? 
the pie ma- pie making machine. Oh God! I anyway, <laughs> they bring it to them, and the the machine gets changed. They press the button, and Finn and Jake come back as their adult selves. So now Finn is like all buffed out. His hair is long. He's got muscles rippling everywhere, so on and so forth. And there's just this crazy, crazy adventure. And it's one of the only comic books that that I've read personally where there's so many inside jokes that if you do watch the show, it makes the comic come alive for you that much more. Like in this one panel... Um, I just watched my probably my favorite episode ever of uh, of the series, and in this one panel on the first page, you have Princess Bubblegum wearing a T-shirt that was given to her by Marceline in the episode that I just watched, and she's singing one of Marceline's songs as she's brushing her teeth. And the whole thing with them is that they're friends, but they're not really friends. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice little inside thing. And the most important thing, and why I enjoyed this so much was not even the main comic, as cool as it was. Um, They always have these little backups and these little uh, story asides. And there's one in the back of this called Time Waits for No One. And it's a conversation between Princess Bubblegum and Bimo, who I mentioned earlier. And they're talking about um, time travel and time theory and time loops. Uh, They make references to Kurt Vonnegut, Ray Bradbury, (laughs) um, Larry Niven, and Michael T. Gilbert. Like, just... Stuff that's way, way beyond the younger audience mm-hmm. of the show, but will definitely enthrall and entertain the more adult people who read this. The Adventure Time in it in and of itself is a very like non-distinct age bracket type of comic or show mm-hmm. where kids enjoy it because it's colorful and it's cute and it's funny and the characters are funny. But they don't get half the jokes. There, there's no way they do. Right. I mean, the, the episode I showed you, yeah, which was basically a drug trip. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see how this is a kid show, but it's my absolute favorite show. Right. It and is amazing. The the robot is Nectar. Nectar. That's, that's it. Never ending pie throwing robot. Right. <laughs> so. All right. So that's Adventure Time number seven. Uh, if you're not watching the show, watch the show. Season one is available on DVD uh, now, and you could find it online. And the comic is a really, really great companion piece. And even if you're not watching the show, if you start reading the comic, you'll get a feel for the characters. And it's very funny. It's very heartwarming. It's all about friendship. And it's just, it's highly entertaining. Um, One of the other things that I spent my time doing this week, because I wasn't reading comic books, uh, Stephanie was talking last week about Ready Player One. Yeah. So what had happened was three times in one day, in three completely unrelated ways, this book was brought up to me within 24 hours. Mm. There's no way that I can ignore a pattern like that. (laughs) I had to check this book out. And I read it, and I agree with everything that that Stephanie was saying, and, and you know that it's it's highly entertaining, having a lot of fun with it. I think that a lot of people will enjoy it, especially people who grew up in the '80s. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of not an issue that I have with it, but just something that I wanted to bring up about how I felt about the book in the beginning. Um, you're always, I know you didn't make this phrase up, but you're always talking about on the nose. Yeah. You bring that up a lot. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. This book was so, I felt like every time that something from the eighties was mentioned that like the book was going to spit out a cookie for mm-hmm. me to eat. And it's, it's a great book having fun with it. It's so clever the way that it's presented and the way that these things are woven into it. 
And thankfully, I'm about 111 pages in, like 11 chapters in, and it's finally starting to be a little bit more story oriented. But I gotta say, like the first like seven to eight chapters, every every couple of sentences, there's some kind of like a name drop. Yeah, and I felt right. I felt in the beginning that like the book was tailor made for me and for people of mm-hmm. my generation that it was very pandering yeah it to, is to us i agree with you yeah and i mean i i think it's clever the way that it was used but i i got to say in the beginning it was just like every couple of sentences was like oh we're going to talk about galaga mm. oh we're going to talk about a rubik's cube yeah. oh we're going to talk about another john hughes reference and, yeah. oh look there's the funeral from heathers yeah and it's just it got to the point where i was like is this am i going to be reading a book our thing like is everybody that's telling me that this book is so incredibly mm. amazing cuz that's been the word on the street is mm. everybody's like freaking out over this book yeah. do they love it because it's it's pandering to their youth and their nostalgia so much or is there really like an epic adventure story sci-fi story within the pages of this book and i'm happy to say that as you keep reading if you have the same problems with it that i had in the beginning it does kind of doesn't stray from that. It's still there, but it's not as blatant as, and constant as it was in mm-hmm. the beginning. And more of a story and more relationships are starting to form. Yeah. So um, anybody who is going to pick it up and you felt the way that I felt or you feel the way that I felt in the beginning, don't let it deter you from, from continuing with the book. It's a lot of fun. A lot of what Stephanie said uh, proves true. And uh I don't know. It's just another take on it. I, yeah. I just, I just thought it was a little strange. Yeah. That it was just, it was so much. Yeah. I've uh, been listening to the audiobook actually, and we're almost in the exact same spot. And uh, the audiobook which was written by Will Wheaton, which is, it was just kind of funny. Um, Wheaton. <laughs> Wheaton. And I do agree with you. My problems with the book, I, I think that the the plot that's happening is really cool, and I like the idea of it. Um, he does tend, the author does tend to go off in kind of tangents about things. Mm-hmm. And like he kind of goes away from the story, and, and it, it's not feeling like the characters are talking to me, and it feels like the author is talking to me. Yes, you know, much. there's this whole section where he talks about when he was a kid. It's very beginning, and he, you know, uh, he starts going to like the internet now is like they have schools in there, they have all the books in the world, so he can just go put his visor on and sit in a virtual library and read. And he's like, and that's when I found out that everybody had been lying to me. And he goes on this rant about like the economy and the fact that like you know. God is a lie, and all this, and it's but it's it's a huge block of rant, and I'm like, what does that have to do with the story? You Mm. know, this is nothing to do with the story. I I I I can understand this, but you don't have to preach to me about these things, you know. And that's only problem. There are sections that feel very preachy, and you're absolutely right. There are sections where he's like, oh, this reference. (laughs) Stop yelling at me, Will Wheaton. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, And there are times where the references feel very organic, and there are times where they feel like he's showing off his geek acumen. You know, right. And those are the times where it gets distracting, and I totally agree with you on that. I, I think that a debate is a really fun book, yeah. and it's got a cool story going on, and, and especially the point where we are right now, right. it's sort of pick up. Well, yeah, it's starting yeah. to... But one of the things that I thought was really strange about it was just how, like... Um, oh, what was I going to say? Um, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to have bad radio. I forgot. It's okay. Don't worry about it. Well, if you think about it, we'll come back to you. All right. Um, Rob. Hello. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, my book of the week, I guess it kind of leads into our the, topic. Yeah. Our topic. Uh, but it was Amazing Spider Man oh, 692. Go, 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 go. Okay. 
How on earth did the main character have all the time to... Uh, how He's supposed to be, what, 15? Something like that, yeah. Something like that, 17 years old? Yeah. Okay, from the time that the contest had, had begun, mm-hmm. it seems as if he's had like an like a lifetime to dedicate <laughs> to the whole Halliday lore. Right. And he's explored every reference, every book, seen every movie, memorized every line. Yeah. How as as dedicated as I've been to like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas mm. or stuff like that, like I still don't know every single thing. Right. How could you spread yourself that wide and and have a working knowledge of all of that stuff when he's so young? I mean, only, only that is a little bit of suspension disbelief. I will say that he does have like a two hundred billion dollar prize at the other end of it, so that's probably some motivation. Yeah, to you know dedicate your life. Uh-huh. And when you're twelve to seventeen, you really have nothing else to do. It's true, you know. Um, so, but that's yeah. a good point. That is that is something I didn't even think about. But I just point. thought it was weird. Yeah. That's all. It's yeah. not a it's not a deterrent of the book. Mm-hmm. I just was like kind of like. I you like you had you had all that time you've seen like war games like 157 times yeah, he does say that yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah so Rob Amazing Spider-Man 692 yeah no, uh, yeah uh, I just thought it was a great great fun Spider-Man story uh, Dan Slott you know at the beginning of the whole big time storyline uh, he's just been so consistent on the title. And this was just one of those really fun stories. Uh, introduction to a new character, uh, Alpha. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I, I had a lot of fun reading it. Uh, just bringing in a new sidekick character, a mentor, I guess. Someone that he has to look after. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> He's your responsibility. Uh, yeah. yeah, basically. But, but, but who grew up in a totally opposite way. Yeah. Uh, you know, his, his parents didn't didn't not didn't care for him but just were too busy with work i guess yeah. you could say whereas peter was you know loved and smothered mm-hmm. uh you know he's not noticed at school you know P- peter was kind of s- same along the way but he wasn't bullied to a point right uh and and you know he kind of goes to a science experiment hosted mm-hmm. by by peter himself and and he gets these powers mm-hmm. and Peter makes a decision. I'm, I won't spoil anything, just in case anyone's going right. to go out there. He kind of makes a, a decision to to tell him something that that kind of puts them all at jeopardy. He makes a characteristically bad Peter Parker decision. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, for I don't for, for good reasons, but a bad decision. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. I, I had a lot of fun with the book. Did you read it? Yeah, I did. I I, I agree with you. Um, I I think that it's interesting to see that. He's the character. He's the same, basically the same origin as Spider-Man, almost. You know, a little, a slightly tweaked. Um, and then you see the ways that without Uncle Ben and Aunt May, Peter would, could have gone wrong. You know, so Alpha shows up to school and he takes revenge, like on the people who had been messing with him. And when Peter tried to do that, Uncle Ben was there to put him in his place. You know, so that stuff is interesting there. Um, I want to know what you think. Uh, the main criticism I heard of this first story is. Why does why did Dan Slott decide to start a new arc with the story instead of doing some sort of special, you know, kind of one shot story for this 50th anniversary issue? Do you think that's a problem? Do you? Uh, no, no, I'm I'm kind of tired of the whole. Oh, it's issue blah. Let's let's devote it all to 
to like let's have history every, of the characters. Let's have every stuff villain like that. show up and exactly, yeah, have a fight. You know that that happens every issue five hundred, issue six hundred, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. with every series. You know, just get on with the story. That, gotcha. That, and you know that this is obviously all leading up to issue seven hundred. Um, so I, I don't mind it at all. Okay. So one thing I find interesting, it, it's out today. There's Avenging Spider-Man Eleven. 11 yeah. Mm-hmm. Where it's a it's an Aunt May Peter conversation apparently, mm. and reading about what it's going to be like, that hits me as that's the anniversary issue, right? Mm-hmm. Because she's what's left of his core. Gotcha. Everything else has changed so much, but it's always been Peter and May. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. I think that would have been a real nice capper. Yeah, that that's true. Um, what do you think? You had the first story, right, Steve? I did. What do you think of it? I enjoyed it a lot. Actually, yeah. it's a fun story. It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. Um, then we have we have a kind of a bridge story. It's kind of a small backup story um, where I don't know the issue, but it's right out takes place right after Spider Man No More. Um, That's issue 50. 50. 50. and it's basically a small time crook finds the costume. Oh, lovely! Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's it's funny. Yeah, and decides to put it on to kind of cheer up. He has a sick. What is it, his daughter? Yes. Um, a oh, granddaughter. Granddaughter. Yeah. Uh, Put it on to like cheer up his sick granddaughter, and she sees through it. She sees through it right away. That it's not really Spider Man, and he kind of he kind of learns. Even with without Spidey in the costume, it, he's still teaching people what it means to be a hero, because he realizes there's a lot more to being a hero than just putting on the costume. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the last story it's another, it's another full length story. It's uh, Joshua Hale Fialkov who does I Vampire. Um, was it called Just Right? Is that the name of the story? Uh, yes. Yeah. It's basically a day, a, a, a day in the life of Spider-Man. It's a classic Spider-Man story. He needs to get somewhere. He's late. He decides to go into Spider-Man mode, and he encounters all of these usual Spider-Man problems along the way, but they're all kind of slightly tweaked. Like, for just for example, he goes to a... There's a burning building, and he's like, oh, great, I gotta save my burning building, and he goes in there, and it, there's all mannequins and stuff in there, and it has to be a, like a, a fire... A, te- a test fire. A test fire. <laughs> yeah. And he's, he's done all this trouble. He smashed through the window, all this stuff. And the other time, it's kind of like, good job, Spider-Man. You really did a great job. You know, he's trying to like cheer him on. He's like, oh, God. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was my f- favorite part of, of that whole end story w- yeah. was just all those little side quips mm-hmm. in between each, uh, each situation. Yeah. So, like, you know, passing someone on the street. And the little kid's like, hey, mom, it's a Scarlet Spider in his old costume. Yeah. And he's like, oh, kid. You know, just, it's yeah. just funny stuff like that. Yeah. And he ends up spending like the, the second half of the day with this kid. And it's just a great, it's a great Spider-Man story. Um, it's my, I think it was my favorite story in, in the issue, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was good. Yeah. It was pretty awesome. Um, anything else you want to say about the, I mean, we're talking a lot about Spider-Man. So is there anything else you want to say about this yeah, issue? Yeah, no, I'll, I'll leave it at that for now. Okay. And, uh, Ooh, that's yeah. cryptic. All right. Mm. All right. So we're going to take a little break. And we're going to come right back. And we're going to talk about our favorite Spider-Man stories. <gasps> Yay. All right, we are back. So we talked about Spider-Man's 50th anniversary issue, mm-hmm. and now we're going to talk about Spider-Man as a whole. Um, our, mem- our memories, our connection to the character, our favorite stories. Um, 
And Rob's here, obviously, because Rob, you kind of like Spider-Man. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, you're a little bit of a fan of Spider-Man. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've been a fan of Spider-Man since I was a kid. I, I was never really a uh, conscientious comic collector, you, you know, growing up. But he was always a character. Whenever I did buy comics, he was the character I bought. And, you know, I've just I've watched the animated series. I love the movies. So, um, you know, and I've, in the past couple of... The past year, I've read a bunch. So I'm excited to talk about this. But Bob, obviously... You have a long connection to the character and so a it's cool an story odd, to talk about. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, my first Spider-Man, I think, is actually issue three. Oh, wow. Uh, off, off a newsstand. But in the 60s, the problem was distribution. Not every stationery store got lots of books or all the books. And you'd end up with gaps. And down the street, and, and this name came to me the other day. I couldn't remember the kid's name, and it came to me. Uh, it was the Zimmers and their little son, Skipper. Who <laughs> doesn't even sound real. Skipper Zimmer? Yeah. Doesn't even Absolute, sound real. That's the truth. Yeah. And he, he, it seemed, always ended up with the FF issues I didn't have. And I, he needed Spider-Man. So we kept trading. Oh, so as cool. the years went on, I ended up divesting myself of a whole bunch of Ditko issues to get FF issues that I've since had to replace anyway, because he didn't take as good a care of his books as I did of mine. So yeah. they all had to get replaced anyway. And I still could have had Spider-Man, but I don't. Mm-hmm. So eventually, I was pretty good from uh, Romita up with a spot here and there, and good from about 100 all the way up until they decided to tell me that Ben Riley was Spider-Man, <laughs> and 10 years of stories that I had read didn't happen to Peter Parker. And in a flash of anger, sold every single Spider-Man book I had to my local comic book store, except for... I've got one. I have Spider-Man 123 for some reason, because it had ended up in the Luke Cage box. <laughs> it's actually the sequel to uh, a book we will all talk about at some point here. Mm-hmm. So I've got this love-hate relationship with the book, but not the character. I love Spider-Man. All right. He is just spectacular. <laughs> Pun in completely intended. Thank you. Nice. Good one, Bob. Thank you. Good one. Um, Steve, what about you? What's your connection to Spider-Man? My connection is that I've been reading Spider-Man for the better part of only one year mm-hmm. since we started uh, talking comics. I just, I've always, uh, everyone's familiar, everybody knows who Spider-Man right. is. My four-year-old niece knows who Spider-Man mm-hmm. is. Um, and I've got to say, I mean, I am definitely a huge advocate of female characters in comics. They are my favorite, probably one through 99, but um, Spider-Man is definitely my favorite hero of the comic book universe. Uh, I've grown very attached to him. I find a lot of identity uh, in his character, especially Peter Parker. Um, I consider myself to be a fairly funny person from time to time. I've been known to to have a quip or two. (laughs) And um, I just, I love, I love the balance of the, the tragedy and the humor and the just uh, the human side of him. He's got all these powers, but he's still so vulnerable because he is such a good guy, mm-hmm. and he's always trying to live up to his own standards. Um, much like uh, Captain Marvel, the new Captain Marvel, how nothing nothing's ever good enough with Spider Man. The promises that he makes to himself, he can never quite live up to them as good, especially in recent stories where he's he's made promises to himself and had to break them because he's had to make really, really hard decisions. And to me, 
the choices that he makes are almost more heroic than his actions. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that that makes for a really, really solid character. And, um, I just, I love the way that he preserves, um, the, the whole uncle Ben thing is always echoed in, in whoever writes him. They always, you know, they always echo back to that. And I just, I love that there is a, like a holding point for him. There's like a, like a point of origin that mm-hmm. is always, um, respected, by whoever's handling the character and anything like that, that's managed to stay as powerful as it always has throughout the years. I, I admire that. And mm-hmm. I think that it's really cool. Yeah. It's interesting because all of the great Spider-Man stories really deal in those things. It, it deals in his sense of overwhelming guilt and responsibility for the things that have happened to not just his uncle, his uncle Ben, but the, the people he seems to be closest to in his life seem to just and tragically, you know, those relationships always seem to end tragically. And there's a reality to the way that he is, you know, a reality to that, that sadness, you know, about life. And, the, and the, that's the true truth about life. You know, there are great things about life, but there's also incredible sadness in life. And he is not a kind of character who shirks those things off. And it's interesting because his origin does not come from, he's not trying to avenge Uncle Ben's death. He's not trying to punish crime. He's not, you know, trying to figure out who he is or trying to shirk, you know, you know, oppression. He does what he does over an overwhelming sense of guilt over an action he did not take. You know, and I, I think that's amazing because his origin isn't getting bit by the spider. You know, that's not his origin because he's right. not Spider-Man when he gets bit by that spider. He's just Peter Parker who happens to have these powers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He wants to be a wrestler. wants to go on Johnny Carson. Yeah, exactly. He wants to make money. Um, and I'll just... It's funny. I, first, I read Amazing Fantasy 15 for the first time this week in preparation wow. for this. Um, and the last caption of it is, is kind of amazing. Um, it says... This is after he's captured Uncle Ben's killer and given the police. And, you know, he... he, he He's crying and he's walking away and the caption says, and a lean silent figure slowly fades into the gathering darkness, aware at last that in this world with great power, there must also come great responsibility. It's it's just Mm -hmm. fantastic, you know, and and Mm -hmm. it's the ethos for a character for the next 50 years. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Steve, do you want to say something? No. Well, we were talking a bit, um, a little bit before about like, uh, like the loss and the tragedy that he's been with. And I just... You know, reading a lot of stuff over the last years, like I know that Jean Grey has always been a, a focal point for Cyclops and Wolverine, mm-hmm. and um, especially uh, on Wolverine's side, that there that he carries that with him into even in, into other books. Yeah, you know, um, uh, Wolverine and the X Men, it still echoes back to that, um, and it's just it's a credit to the Spider Man character that he has always, always, always again, whoever's writing him, he's always carrying that guilt and that past with him and it's yeah. remained consistent throughout his career as a hero mm-hmm. um and i love i love the idea that that is transferred over to, to everything that he does and that they've never they've never lightened that for him right that has always weighed so heavily mm-hmm. on him and weighed so much on his decisions and his actions that i think that it's just it's a credit to just how amazing the character is yeah that that's never been shelved for the sake of you know giving him a new love interest or you know like oh let's forget what we had with this person because we need something new and shiny right, for yeah. the kids to focus on like mm-hmm. he brings those the lessons that he learned from those losses into his new relationships and that's 
that's what real people do. Yeah. You know, you get hurt. You take the time to, to sit back and you learn from either your mistakes or the other person and you carry that into your next relationship. And that's what makes him so relatable for me anyway. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but it's, oh, sorry. Oh, no, but no, but interesting no. because when the character was created, when Stan started, he handed off everything as he did then to Jack Kirby, mm -hmm. who created an adult Spider-Man with a magic ring and a web gun, <laughs> and Stan got the pages back and was just not happy. He wanted a kid, yeah, and turned to Steve Ditko, who was doing horror stories and weird science fiction of all sort of quirky, distressed characters, and handed it to Steve Ditko, and that was it mm -hmm. it was just that combination of the two of them he created a different sort of character yeah that was very different though the cover of amazing fantasy 15 is kirby oh, okay which if you look at it, it's more muscular yeah and it's not it's not the kirby version which was the fly which he was doing over at harvey kind of he mm -hmm. just stole from himself right and stan just no that that's not what i want i, I want to tell a human story here so it's really as you say it's in that first issue it's that last panel and yeah. the, the whole character is right there and it is in his yeah nature yeah to feel everything for everybody absolutely rob we haven't got a chance what's what's your connection to spider-man tell us uh well when i was i guess six years old that's a, that's how old i was i mean i was you know as any kid you watch tv and they used to have the old little spider-man segments uh basically it was like a living comic so the comic was on tv and they would just cut out the characters and kind of have them like moving and and they would read word for word uh lines from the old books i mean they had silver surfer and hulk all like that also mm -hmm. uh just like mini cartoons maybe eight or nine minutes an episode mm -hmm. And I was absolutely obsessed with him, and I used mm -hmm. to rent the videos over and over again. So finally, my father, he was like, oh, I, th I think there's a comic book store down the street. And, uh, I mean, we're on Long Island in New York, mm -hmm. and uh, there was Port Comics. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so that, that used to be over by me. And uh, so I was six years old. He took me into the store. And he was like, well, you know you like Spider-Man, so why don't, why don't you pick out a couple of Sp Spider-Man books? And he was like, you know, you could pick out one new book and, you know, one old book from the bins mm -hmm. over here. And I went right to the shelf. And the issue that happened to be out then was uh, Amazing Spider-Man 238, which is the first Hobgoblin. Okay. And it just had a very, very menacing cover. You know, the Hobgoblin standing there in kind of like in the darkness, ripping a Spider-Man costume in half. So okay. I, was, I was intrigued. I was like, <laughs> who is this? Who's, who's going to hurt Spider-Man? <laughs> uh so I, I picked that up, and I went into the bins and dug around. And, uh, I mean, back then, there used to be a show called Electric Company. Um, sure. I don't yeah. Know. Hey, and Morgan Freeman. Yeah, they, they used to... Five, six, sorry. Uh-huh. <laughs> they used to have a, a little Spider-Man segment on that show also. Some dude in a costume, and he would come out and teach you a lesson. And uh, so... Back then, they used to have uh, Spidey Super Stories, which was kind of the, the kid-focused Spider-Man magazine. So I picked one of those up. Um, and that's what got me hooked on comics, period. Okay. You know, uh, so from, from then on, uh, just absolutely relate with the character. You know, uh, scrawny kid lost in the crowd at school. Uh, and I just love what he stands for. Uh, for for who he is, for how he treats people, you know, it, it kind of taught me to be the person that I am today. Um, 
you know, right. al- along with great parents and stuff, obviously. Right. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, you know, I would always read it and be like, you know, that, that's how I want to treat people. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was always there for his friends. Obviously, he had a runoff from time to time. So his friends would be like, oh, he's, he's you know, inconsiderate and blah, blah, blah. But you knew, being the reader, what, what he was actually doing. So I was just always so intrigued. And just through the years, uh, you know, I just always stuck with the book. And from, from that day on, from being six years old to, I mean, now I'm 33, I've bought Spider-Man consistently. So I don't, I don't, I've just been absolutely uh, just addicted to him. I, I, <laughs> I can't get enough that... Yeah, you know, so that that's right. how my my relationship with can I uh, give a little fun side note? Yeah, sure. For our listeners, uh, you said I can tell people this. Oh yeah, I can care Rob less. has a Spider-Man tattoo <laughs> that on, on his leg uh-huh. that I personally love because of its position where it is. The way that it that it's set up is that if he's wearing a pair of shorts, the top of the webbing actually attaches itself to the bottom cuff. Of his shorts. So whenever he's wearing shorts, it's Spider-Man hanging from the bottom cuff of his shorts <laughs> in the summertime. Hanging upside down. Yep. It's absolutely nice. awesome. <laughs> nice. Nice. I'll tweet out a picture later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, obviously, Bob and Rob, you guys have the most Spider-Man acumen here. Um, I think Steve and I are both going to offer our favorite stories as well, but you guys kind of have a bigger base of knowledge of that. And yeah, I know you guys kind of conferred for the week and so we don't step on each other's toes yeah and, and you're gonna take more classic and he's gonna take a little bit newer ish stories and some intersection here and there so bob why don't you start i want you to give us give us two okay of your favorite spider-man stories well, first for me it's it's a uh it's spider-man 31 32 and 33 that's the master planner arc which turns out to be spoiler alert for a book 50 years old it's <laughs> it's doc ock okay. uh Aunt May is dying from some blood disease that may have been caused by a transfusion from Peter, mm-hmm. which drives him mm-hmm. you know, to the brink. He discovers there's this serum, ISO 36, that he can get that the master planner, Doc Ock, ends up with. He goes after him in a huge fight. They collapse a subway tunnel, on, and this giant piece of machinery falls on Spider-Man. Okay. He's trapped... It's the the room is flooding. It's filled with water. He's got to save Aunt May. It's just beyond his reach, and you have page after page of him thinking about Uncle Ben and all the people he's failed and all the things that have gone wrong, and it's just him struggling against what he knows he has to do and all the things we talked about before. What's in his character until he finally, you know, with in, in an old Stanley kind of way, one mighty effort, and in a full page shot pushes this thing that's four times what it should be able to lift off of him. That six or seven pages to me is the actual essence of Mm Spider-Man. Everything that came before led to this. Everything that came after is from this moment. It's as if, you know, Stan took three years of stuff and he and Steve came up with this bit here Mm -hmm. and that's Spidey. Then it's annual number one from 1964. It's the Sinister Six. Okay. So in one annual, it's big old 80-page giant for a quarter back then, <laughs> uh, Vulture, Electro, Doc Ock, Craven, Mysterio, and the Sandman all decide that individually they couldn't beat Spider-Man, but if they gang up on him and just tag-team him, they'll beat him down. They kidnap Betty Brant and Aunt May. Peter 
another one of these kind of moments, his own doubts cause him to lose his power. He's not Spider-Man. It's the thing that's in the movie. Yeah. He goes out after, I think it's Electro first. Uh, I actually wrote this down. No, I don't even remember. See, it's Mm -hmm. so long ago. I think it's Electro. He actually goes out after him without his powers. Okay. Because, well, he has to. And discovers, yeah, it is Electro, because he shoots an electric bolt at him, Mm -hmm. and he manages to dodge it. Mm -hmm. And it's his own belief in himself that brings him back to being Spider-Man. So, you can. the good thing is with all these old stories... Mm -hmm. They're now available. Masterworks and essence, you know, essential series and mm-hmm. trades and whatever. Or even if you go back, if you're at your comic shop, just look in their bins for the old uh, Marvel Tales. Sure. Those are all the reprinted stories, basically for for cheap. So in in single issue form. Cool, awesome. Uh, Rob, why don't you give us a couple of your favorite stories? Okay. Um, well, the first is a storyline that runs through all of the uh, the Spider-Man books at the time. It's Craven's Last Hunt. Uh, it ran through amazing web of spectacular and and basically uh Craven is this guy who he takes a formula and basically becomes like a master tracker, kind of like the the strength of the lion and uh and he just like every other villain just just could never defeat spider man so this is his all out pursuit um and it's kind of easy for him. He just walks up to him with a uh, with a dart, shoots him, knocks him out, and buries him alive. So you have Peter underground. This this whole story, and he's paralyzed, thinking to himself, you know, kind of like Bob was saying, you know, I've I failed. Uh, and you have Craven running around in in Spidey's old black suit and just trying to be a better Spider Man. And it's actually creepy because he's he's. It's yeah. really yeah. He's he's not nice about it, uh, and there's just creepy moments with with him and Mary Jane, and uh, but but just such a a great and powerful and and very dark story, especially the ending. I don't want to spoil. If no one, if you have not read mm-hmm. this story, I, I highly I have suggest. Not, but I have it at home. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just just such a shocking ending for for the time. Um, so yeah, that I highly suggest. Uh, the other one is is just a nice, good old one shot story in Amazing Spider Man two forty eight, and it's uh, called the Kid Who Collects Spider Man. Um, one of the most touching Spider Man stories there is. Uh, there's just a kid out there who cuts out every article, every picture he could find of, of Spidey, and finally one day Spider Man comes to visit him. You know, comes in his room. They're sitting there talking. And just towards the end of the story, you know, he's like, he's like, why can't I see who you are? You know, just take off your mask. And, and Spider-Man's like, you know, I can't, I can't do that. Uh, it'll put you in jeopardy. It puts my loved ones in jeopardy. And so Spider-Man leaves. And he thinks to himself, turns around, goes back in, and he actually does. He takes his mask off. And the kid's like, oh, my God, you're Peter Parker. You take all these awesome pictures and... And so he sits there and reiterates his situation. He's like, look, you know, you can't just go around telling people. Uh, So basically, Spider-Man leaves, and you just get a pull-out shot, and you could see that the kid is in a children's hospital. And the last line is like, uh, you know, he has a week left to live. He has Mm -hmm. leukemia. So just knowing that mm-hmm. that he's going to his grave with Spider-Man's secret, mm-hmm. and 
uh, it was just so touching, especially for the time. Mm. And mm-hmm. you know, one of those stories that that makes you tear up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so definitely go go find that good read. Absolutely. Oh, let's go, let's go, Steve, yeah. Steve, why don't you tell? I know you have one that you really want to talk about. Your favorite Spider-Man thing? Yes. My favorite Spider-Man thing is uh, I don't know what year this came out. Do you do? Do you know Rob? Which? Um, well, all right, it, I'll say what it is. Is it Miles? Uh, no. Um, Ultimate Spider-Man: The Death of Spider-Man. Uh, is 2011? Was it last year? Uh, tail end 2010. Yeah. Oh, tail end 2010. Okay. Cool. All right. Um, it's my absolute favorite Spider-Man story that I've read. And now, I, you know, listeners, I said it before. Understand that I've only been reading Spider-Man for a year, so mm. I have an extraordinary. I have a huge backlog to make yeah. up for. So a lot of my picks are going to be more of the newer stuff. Mm. Um, but Death of Spider-Man, I won't spoil too much, but it's basically, it's Norman Osborn, like all like spiky hulked out, <laughs> uh, Electro, Craven, Sandman, Dr. Octopus, and Vulture, all trying to take Spider-Man out. Spider-Man winds up in a huge imposition about two or three issues into this uh, into this arc, and basically sacrifices himself for a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, this lands him in a very precarious uh, position to carry out the rest of his mission. Yeah, um, I read this on a train uh, going into Brooklyn, and I think it was the first comic that I read where. The the idea of me actually turning pages had disappeared, that I was so invested that all the people around me, whether it was the subway or the Long Island Expressway, there was nobody else there. Mm-hmm. It was just me, and it was Spider-Man, and it was this predicament that he was in. And it's just, it's such a, such a rush, and such a like, visceral, and animated, and heartwarming and and just the the danger and the the level that he was that he pushed himself to i mean you want to talk about a limit and then pushing yourself beyond that limit Mm. to the point where you could die at any moment but you're still trying with everything Mm. to me i mean bob was mentioning that the the moment where he lifts that that structure Mm. was when that was like your defining spidey moment this book was my defining Spidey moment. It it taught me about who he was, mm-hmm. what kind of character he was. And um, I won't talk about it too much because if you haven't read it, it is very, very, very uh, compelling. And I, I suggest that everybody check it out. Um, there's a whole bunch of collections of it. It's very easy to find off of Amazon or, or in your local comic shop. Um, just extremely, extremely just woke me up to the character and basically slapped me in the face and told me to pay attention to him from here on out and yeah. to, to go and seek out whatever whatever was going on in the world of Spider-Man today after reading this book. It was very obvious that the next comic day that I was going to go and pick up, pick up a bunch of complete arcs or, mm. or trades or raiding Rob's basement for <laughs> uh, issue uh, volumes one through 10 in one shot of Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And um, it just, it created a sense of urgency. It was like reading Lunar Brothers Girls, where it was mm-hmm. so obvious that this book was for me, mm-hmm. that when I read the death of, the ultimate uh, Spider-Man, Death of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. it was this hero that you'd known about for all these years, but you've never really been exposed to. This is going to be your guy. Mm-hmm. And so that was my defining uh, Spidey moment, and that it just it, it holds a very very special warm place in my heart as far as comics are concerned. Yeah, that was actually when I first got my iPad, 
and start, and the digital comics. Um, it was actually the first thing I read when I got my iPad was that Death of Spider-Man arc. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, uh, I'll t- quickly talk about something that I actually just finished reading um, that has quickly moved to the top of my Spider-Man list, and that's Spider-Man Blue. Uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale. Um, now it's basically it's basically a story of Peter recounting uh, the time around the time where he met and fell in love with Gwen Stacy. He's recording it on Valentine's Day. Um, this is after Gwen has passed, obviously. And you know he's recounting the time where he met Gwen and when she started noticing him, and at the same time when MJ came into his life and how there was, the first time in his life, there were two women who wanted to be with him and how he ended up kind of being with one or the other to begin with. And, um, you know, there's a plot to it. You know, it's, again, it's a Craven story and he's trying to figure out a way to beat Spider-Man. And, uh, but that is very much, you know, side. It's, it's incidental to the, it's just the kind of MacGuffin of the plot. Way on the side. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is really, it's really about Peter Parker. The story is really about Peter Parker learning uh, how to be a man in, in a lot of ways and the way Gwen kind of changed his life. Um, and it's a really great story. It's beautiful. But then, and I heard it's very emotional and it was very emotional all the way through. Um, and you get to the last two pages of the book and for the first time you see Peter recording, you know, what, what he's doing. And, he, you know, um, I don't want to, I was going to read them off, but I don't want to read off the last lines of the book is I want people to experience them if they haven't read it. But it's this beautiful, simple little thing. Um, his kind of love letter to Gwen. But, you know, he's up there in this, basically in this attic or what have you, recording this message. And there's a moment, you know, and Mary Jane walks in on him while he's recording this thing about Gwen. And um, he's like, how long have you been standing there? And she, you know, she's she's like long enough, I heard you've been saying. And he has this moment where he thinks she's going to be mad, you know, where he's talking about how much he loves this girl who has been passed away for all these years. And, you know, he's married to Mary Jane and, you know, but whatever. And, um, she just says, say, say hi to her for me. And I literally started crying Mm -hmm. while I was reading the thing. Second time I've ever cried reading a comic book. The first time was reading I Kill Giants. And Uh it's just an amazing little moment, you know, and it's about true love on both ends. And it's just, it really hit me really hard. And it's one of the reasons I love the character. Like I said, it's all about loss. And it's, it's beautiful. So that's Spider-Man Blue. Everybody should check it out. Bob, why don't you give us a couple more sure. stories? Well, uh, it's related, uh, and it's sort of a lead-in. Spider-Man 14 is the first time we see the Green Goblin, and he's kind of a throwaway. Mm-hmm. Hulk's in it, and the Enforcers, and it's great. But it's, you get uh, 39 and 40, where Norman discovers that his son's friend is Spider-Man, and Spidey figures it out. He ends up capturing him, flies him through the city, which eventually leads to the death of Gwen Stacy in Spider-Man 121 and 122. And you talk about how his story ends. It, they didn't give you the title at the start of the issue. Mm-hmm. And on the last page, the reason we couldn't tell you the title of this story is, and you turn the page, it's the death of Gwen Stacy, which... Um, controversy still reigns as to who told you know Jerry Conway he could do this on a slow weekend and Stan says it's not, I wouldn't have done that I like Gwen and mm-hmm. so on and interestingly uh, 122 sort of ends in the same way you're talking about with Mary Jane comes in to console Peter yeah 
and that changeover right there. So it, it's interesting how things play themselves out yeah. as, as a cycle. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, uh, the Spider-Man Blue is dedicated to Stan Lee, John Romita, and Jack Kirby. Is that who it's, I think, is that who it's dedicated to? Um, it's right Steve Ditko, probably. Oh, Steve Ditko, yeah. Stan Lee, Steve Ditko, and John Romita Sr., and like at the bottom of every title page, it says dedicated to those three guys. So you know, obviously Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb, obviously giant fans of those people. Yeah. Um, I want to get back to Rob talking about his stuff, but uh, it's pretty hot in here, and I need to get a drink of water before we go on. So we're gonna take another little break, and we'll be right back after this. Spider Man, Spider Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins the web, any size. Can't you see? Just like flies, look out. All right, all refreshed and back. Ah, yummy. Minty fresh. Rob, I was throwing it to you. Give us a couple more of your favorite Spitterman stories. Okay. Uh, (laughs) This one's more of a run. Uh, Back in 2004, there was the Marvel Knights Spider-Man. And this was a Mark Millar... uh, and I think it was drawn by uh, Terry Dodson and Frank Cho. They, okay. they kind of wow. handed back and forth the work. Uh, more of a dark story. Uh, Green Goblin kidnaps Aunt May. Um, and th- th- this is the story that kind of brought in the Mac Gargan, the scorpion venom. Um, great stuff. Th- they throw him into, uh, like I said, uh, darker situations. Um, and, it, and it's good for him to uh, to kind of spread his wings in those kind of situations because he's not the character that you see in in those kind of grim grim type stories. Mm-hmm. So yeah, if if you go, you can go grab the trade. It's it's not very long. I think it's like twenty or so issues. Uh, so yeah, that's a that's a good read. <laughs> also, going back to like some of my favorite things when I, when I was younger. I guess when I was like 13 or so, that was back when uh, Sal Buscema was doing the uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. Love and Sal. Yeah, yeah. He had an awesome run on that book. Um, and like I said, I, w- I was probably about 13 years old and just great panel layouts, uh, Awesome characters that I was introduced to, like Tombstone and, uh, you know, just just crazy, crazy storylines. One of the best Vulture stories I've read. Um, So, yeah, go go back to, like, the the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, Just go check out your local comic book stores. Jump in the Spectacular Spider-Man bin. And and look for the uh, Sal Buscema stuff, and, and you'll very much enjoy it. Cool. Um, Steve, throwing it back to you. Yes. All right. Um, now, as I said, some of my favorite Spider-Man stuff is some of the newer stuff. And one of the issues of Avenging Spider-Man that I absolutely fell in love with from the very, the very first uh, page, we all know Marvel loves to catch you up on what's going on, uh, give you a little summarization. Now, in the beginning of Avenging Spider-Man number seven, which also stars She-Hulk, yeah. they have they list <laughs> the cast of characters in the beginning of the book, and this is when I fell in love with it. You had Avenging Spider-Man, the sensational She-Hulk, and then listed in their very own marquee, Kitty Cats. Yes. I love cats. My cat's name is Moo Moo. She's my best friend. I love her to death. 
Anyway, this issue is a laugh riot all the way through. The banter and just the the relationship between Spider-Man and She-Hulk. She has, like, almost no respect for him as a hero whatsoever. She's constantly dogging him and and making little jabs uh, at the way that he handles things. And if you haven't read it, I, I it's a standalone issue. I strongly suggest that you seek it out. It'll definitely be in your local comic shop. It is a just a joy to read. Um, also, I know we've been talking a lot about Peter Parker's Spider-Man. I wanted to talk for just a second about the Miles Morales uh, latest mm. Ultimate ah. Spider-Man. I absolutely positively, if the death of Spider-Man is my is my absolute favorite. My other favorite Spider-related um, story or arc or, or run or whatever is definitely the new Ultimate uh, mm-hmm. Spider-Man, Miles Morales. I, I lo- I'm, I'm a big fan of the kid's perspective. I love watching comics unfold from younger eyes. This is why I love The Runaways. It's just it's – a, it's something that you don't really – I mean they, they exist, but – it's just such a cool perspective. I, I love the the danger that they're put in, the things that they have to cope with being so young, and and Miles with all of his family issues, not being able to tell his parents about you know his newfound powers, his uncle being his uh, the first real villain to come after mm-hmm. him, and just the the conflict about how you can already see that he's got this best friend. I think his name is uh, Ganky. Mm-hmm. Is his name? Mm-hmm. Um, they're like best buds, video games, walking home from school, um, getting picked on together. They go through everything together. And even in these early issues, it's only, I think maybe 12 issues in, I believe you can already see this rift forming between them because of his, his newfound duties to the public and to himself to learn these powers. And I just, I absolutely, I feel for him. Mm-hmm. And as much as I, I, I've felt for Peter Parker and, and the part of me growing up, um, you know, I identify with Peter Parker. I definitely, definitely um, identify a little bit with Miles. I mean, I might not be a child like he is, but the sense of living up to the legacy of Spider-Man, everything that has fallen onto him, and especially with the last issue of um, Spider-Men, that we had with Peter and him, you know, running into Gwen Stacy and, and Aunt May just really, really, really piled on the sense of responsibility and even the sense of, of almost like a guilt that he has for, for donning the costume and taking over for this hero um, and having to earn his way uh, to, to prove himself to, you know, Nick Fury and mm-hmm. these other heroes that he's just got he's got so much to deal with and in my opinion the way that they're that they're writing him he's dealing with it spectacularly and and I just think it's a very if people were turned off by the idea of of a little kid you know there's been a lot of backlash I mean I think some people have gotten used to it now but in the beginning people were turned off by the idea of there being like half black half hispanic spider-man I'm I'm telling you that you should give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really tender moments in there, lots of great action, and lots and lots of conflict. And to me, 
that's what Spider-Man has always been about. It's always been about the loyalty and the conflict. And mm-hmm. they've and Miles, he definitely exudes that uh, right. in Spades. Yeah. So I've really been really really been enjoying that. It's a, yeah, it's a great book, and it, it's I I think it's more people are upset about were kind of upset that there's a Spider-Man that wasn't named Peter Parker, um, but he did a fantastic job bringing it around, and the way they kind of put together his origin and how it relates to Peter is is pretty fantastic. Um, I want to talk real quick. Just you mentioned Avenging Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, I think that series has been great, just especially for the fact that you can really pick up any issue or any second issue, and you can read it, and you can get a Spider-Man story that you can understand, and you get really interested in the character. Um, we've talked several times about number nine, which is the Captain America issue, which I think is just a brilliant, yes. uh, brilliant, brilliant issue. Um, it's Zeb Wells and uh, uh, Lionel Yu, I believe, is the artist on that. Um, it's something you guys should definitely check out. Um, I also, this week, uh, read the two-parter, the No One Dies two-parter from Dan Slott, which comes right after uh, Marla Jamison uh, dies. And... You know, it starts out with this really kind of stark, just no words, um, her funeral from Peter's perspective and from Jonah's perspective. And then, this is the first issue, it, Peter goes to sleep and he has this nightmare where everyone who's ever died in his life is there. And they're morphing from one person to another and it's good guys and it's bad guys. And it, it all starts with him saying, you know, I, I'm, this time I'm going to stop the the thief that he lets run by. And there's a moment in the issue where at the end, he's gone through all this stuff. He's seen all these people and he's seen uncle Ben and he, uh, he, the, once again, the robbers running past the, the thief is running past him and he grabs him and he just beats him. He, he won't let him, he beats him. And when he looks down, it's uncle Ben. And he says, this is, this is how you fail me. This is how you'll fail me. If you, if you get rid of all the things I ever taught you. And he basically realizes at that point that, you know, I have to change something, but I can't change myself. And that was obviously the no one dies dictum that he comes up with was brought up again in Ends of the Earth, and it's become kind of his almost rallying cry. And there's this, this amazing page at the end where all these people are looking at him, and they kind of are like, now that you come to this decision, what are you going to do for us? And that and that's what he comes to this realization. It's it was fantastic. It was really really powerful. That was one of the greatest like laid out panels, like just trippy panels all over the place. Uh, mm. Marco Marcos Martin did the art on that book. Mm. Um, and man, I wish he he stuck around on Spidey and on Daredevil because his layouts are just absolutely beautiful and fluid, and they have the old Ramita feel to them. Mm. Um, yeah, if you if you haven't read that issue, definitely definitely run out and read it. It's it's pretty fantastic. Um, you had another one you wanted to bring up, right? Uh, yeah, I had a quick funny one. Um, if anyone's a like a Saturday Night Live fan, uh, about three years ago there was a one shot that came out called the Short Halloween, and it was written by Bill Hader and Seth Meyers. <laughs> um, Kevin McGuire did the art. Just a funny, uh, I guess you could say, mistaken identity kind of story uh that spidey's barely in but hilarious fun one shot uh three or four bucks you should go out find it very cool bob do you have any more you want to bring up really quickly we'd be remiss without uh mentioning spider-man 50 spider-man no more which they did a update sort of in, in the new one certainly 42 where we first see mary jane 
mm-hmm. face it, Tiger, you hit the jackpot mm-hmm. after years behind flower pots and doorways and whatever. Mm-hmm. And to have John Romita, who drew the most beautiful women in his time, to have her draw, have him draw Mary Jane. Um, just for fun, we were talking uh, all sorts of things here. What if 105, which is Spider Girl? Mm-hmm. Which is a Spider-Man book because it's it's the daughter of Peter and Mary Jane. He is still there. He's retired because he's lost a leg in a battle with one of the supervillains. But it's still his message and it's the responsibility and it's through her that we now see it again. In the same way you saw it with Miles where that message Mm -hmm. still resonates after 50 odd years. Yeah, And just for laughs, Superman, Spider-Man. The oh, giant yeah. oversized treasury uh-huh. with no stop for explaining what world this really was. They could they could exist, but mm-hmm. both characters done so well. And you had Ross Andrew. We've mentioned a lot of Spider-Man artists, but Ross Andrew for a long period did Spider-Man uh, after Romita. And he captured – he was mostly a DC artist. He did Wonder Woman, Metal Men for years and years. He had the angularity that Ditko had, but sort of some of the more polished that Romita had. It was very interesting – Take on the character. Should we go down favorite Spider-Man artist quickly for everybody? Sure, if you want to. I, I'm not going to be able to really do that very yeah, well. But, yeah, but, but, but if you want to do it, by way, it's, it's certainly Ditko because he's he's the guy who created or co-created with Stan. But uh, Ramita may be definitive for me, even though he didn't create the thing. That that whole period, so many years, starting actually in a Daredevil crossover, right, Rob? Yes. Yep. It was the pick, pick up on this, yeah. Uh, well, I have Ramita at the top of my list okay. for, for all time. Uh, but like I was do- saying before, uh, the Sal Buscema stuff from the 80s, Spectacular Spider-Man. Uh, more recently, like into the 90s, uh, Mark Bagley kind of oh, yeah. d- defined my... Mine. Yeah, he kind of defined my, my teenage years with the character and Amazing Spider-Man. Um, currently... Uh, you have the Umberto Ramos stuff. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. He did a run on Spectacular Spider-Man in the early 2000s. Great stuff. Uh, and then, I mean, someone that I would just love to see on Amazing Spider-Man, like ongoing-wise, just from her work with, with the Ultimate stuff, is uh, Sarah Pacelli. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think that would be absolutely amazing. I like... Um from uh, Amazing Spider-Man 630 to uh, 633, the Shed arc with the lizard, uh, Bacallo. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Did uh, some really, really uh, amazing art for, uh, for Spider-Man. I like, I like that style. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, I just want to run down, actually, uh, on IGN, they had done a top 25 Spider-Man stories. Mm-hmm. I just want to go over their top five real quick, some of which we've mentioned. Um, their number five is, I want to know, what do you think of this, Rob? It's uh, To Have and To Hold, which was Sensational Spider-Man Annual Number 1. It was by Matt Fraction and uh, art by Salvador La Roca. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, that's a, a touching story. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mary Jane gets, like, S.H.I.E.L.D., I think, is interrogating Mary Jane about trying to figure out who Spider-Man is. I believe that's the, the premise of that. Um, the Death of Jean DeWolf is their number four, mm, which yeah, is Peter David and uh, Rich yeah, Buckler. Yeah. Um, the Kid Who Collects Spider-Man is number three. Um, mm-hmm. Spider-Man Blue is number two. And number one is The Night Gwen Stacy Died. So that that was their top five. Nice. Um, yeah. So, what about villains? What's your favorite Spider-Man villain? Real quick, Bob. Doc Ock. Doc Ock. Ooh. Steve. Um, either Doc Ark. Uh, Ark. Uh, he's Doc a pirate. He's a pirate. 
I also, uh, I really, I know he's not a, a really popular. I like Mysterio. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he's cool. <laughs> it's not a bad one. No, I know. Rob. <sighs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's such a hard question. Uh, Venom. No. Mm. The Tinkerer. I like the I like um, Sandman is always is a mm-hmm. good. T- I don't necessarily like his character, but I love. I, I do like his character, but I love what they can do with him because of of you know his body. They yeah, just, uh-huh. they they create some really really amazing when he's like when he was in the desert in uh, in Ult- Death of Spider Man. He just takes the entire like almost the entire Sahara <laughs> and just turns into this gigantic beast. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck yeah! <laughs> I mean, what are you gonna do about that? I guess mine would be the uh, the Harry Green Goblin stuff. Okay, I, I just like the the conflict of you know best friend, what mm-hmm. do I do, kind gotcha. of stuff. Yeah, I mean, mine's Doc Ock as well. Uh huh. So um, we had a, I asked for some uh, listeners for uh, some questions or comments or what have you. Um, Rick Hallwalter says my first superhero comic was the Spider-Man and Montreal Expos crossover Field oh of Screams. God, yeah. What? I've loved yep. the character <laughs> since then. That that's when they started putting out all the Canadian books like The Skating on Thin Ice and and stuff like that. They hey. that book they handed out to the little leaguers. So wow. it's, it's kind of hard to get but good book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so you know um H underscore pause and um Rick Kowalter, kind of similar questions. Um, H. Uh, Hugh asks, what do you believe the definitive Spider-Man story arc is? And Rick wants to know, what is your favorite Spidey storyline in any media? And your version, favorite version of Spidey in any media? Hmm. Um, so we said a bunch of stories, but which one do you think is your favorite? Which do you think is the most definitive? 31, 32, 33. Okay. Uh, buried under the machinery, something he can't do, but finds a way to do it for everybody else. Hmm. What yeah. about you, Rob? Uh, I mean, I definitely agree with that. That into uh, to issue fifty, the Spider-Man No More. Mm-hmm. That that kind of just hits everything in a nutshell. All right. Um, I asked kind of you know some of the favorite arcs and stuff. Um, Arc Carol thirty one says New Ways to Die by Dan Slott is awesome. Definitely one of the best stories. Anti Anti Venom is great. Um, what do you think of that arc? I love New Ways to Die. Uh, <laughs> no, I do the whole. Uh, I just love what they did with Eddie Brock uh, just being sick and frail and and then redemption through something he he didn't want and something that he kind of fought with all his whole life and uh, yeah it it just brought such such conflict to to all these characters uh, great storyline very cool um, super bad Larry. It's a Secret Wars, even though I oh. haven't read it in a long time. Not sure I if have, it still holds up. <laughs> I have a quick story about that. Okay. The whole black costume Yeah, because Hyper, yeah. uh, Hyperion Spin also said the black costume origin is the favorite moments. Okay, so just picture this. Being a kid, uh, amazing 252 hits the stand. Spidey swinging along on the cover in a black costume. <laughs> and I'm looking at this thing like, what the hell happened to his, his regular costume? <laughs> And what was supposed to happen is Secret Wars number eight was supposed to come out and explain how he got the black alien costume. But Secret Wars eight came out a week later. (laughs) So you never knew how he got the costume. And so, yeah, you're just sitting there looking like, what is going on? (laughs) So I was so confused. What is going on? I can't But the moment, is it about a year later where Reed Richard tells him, oh, by the way, your costume's alive. Yes. And it's been living on you all this time and Peter freaks out. Uh Uh-huh. 
uh, sixth Reezy, uh, when asked about favorite villains, says, always the lizard until I found out about Venom as a kid. Probably from me because I was scared of everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rep Stones wants to say, can I cheat and say the Sinister Six? If pushed, it says Mysterio. So you have somebody you with go. you. Rep Stones is with you. Yeah. yeah. Mysterio. He's part of the Sinister Six. That Smart makes him major. Yeah. Okay. He's, I just, I, I like the idea of him being a special effects and creating, creating illusions. Mm-hmm. And well, that's always been like, I like that. Yeah. I think that's cool. Um, I miss that he didn't get to be in a movie. Yeah. Well, well you never happen. know. Yeah, but the, the whole Raimi was going to do Bruce Campbell as Mysterio. I wanted that desperately. <laughs> um, I don't know if you, 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 I know you've heard this, Rob, but Guardian Devil, the Kevin Smith uh, Daredevil run mm-hmm. does a really awesome thing with Mysterio. It's I wish they would have stuck with that. But. Yeah, if you if you like Mysterio, definitely check out the Guardian Devil. I shall uh, by Kevin mm. Smith. Um, and I want that Spider Man blue with the shop later on today. I yeah, know it's there. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, and then Repstones has a question. Actually, he goes, "Where do you guys come down on the crazy argument between Stan Lee and Steve Ditko? Because Stan grudgingly gave Steve co-creator credit." I wouldn't. I wouldn't describe it as grudgingly because mm. fairly early on he always said that you know he had handed it off to Jack, mm. it didn't work, and that you know Steve was the guy to do it, and mm. what was on the page was as much his as Stan's. Uh, I mean, may, perhaps grudgingly monetarily, mm-hmm. and they finally had a disagreement over who was co-plotting what. And Steve kind of checked out near the end. The last couple issues are. Kind of vague. They're a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanley, though, created Spider-Man and Peter Parker and the the trappings of what the character is, and Steve fleshed them out. So then it becomes, well, where's where do you draw the line? Right. Yeah. I say right down the middle. Yeah. Um, it's so funny. I'm, I was reading ASM number one, and he calls him Peter Palmer the entire yeah. the entire <laughs> issue. Yeah. Which I think is really, really funny. Um, just so I only read half of Superbad Larry's tweet. Um, the, the, the Secret Wars was the second half. He also says Perceptions featuring Wolverine and Wendingo. Um, he loves my second, my second identity and Peter addressing that as a reporter. I don't even know what that is. So Yeah, no, the whole Perceptions thing is good. That's actually where my tattoo comes from. So oh, awesome. It's, it's funny that he should say that. I just want to say Superbad Larry is my favorite Twitter name. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Every time I see it, I, I, I smile. Well, there you go, Superbad. You Superbad! It's so good! <laughs> yeah! Superbad Larry. <laughs> um, so badass. We did have a non-Spider-Man question that I wanted to get to really hmm. quick. Um, Keenan uh, is a back issue question. When looking for back issues, especially of series that didn't sell well, where do you like to look? eBay, comic book stores, etc. Also, any thoughts, comments on Image partnering with Comixology to make available for free indefinitely online the first issue of around 20 of their most recent titles? I think it's a great business move. I wanted to bring this up. I want to answer that question. And I also want to talk about, really quick, that Comixology thing because I have actually have it up um, here. They do have a ton of titles um, available it's kind of amazing. Um, they have Fatal number one, Prophet number twenty-one, Thief of Thieves, Alpha Girl, No Place Like Home, Glory, Peter Panzerfaust, Saga, The Manhattan Projects, Hell Yeah, Hoax Hunters, America's Got Powers, um, Mind, the, Mind Gap. the Gap, Danger Club, Secret, Epic Kill, Dancer, Grim Leaper, Planetoid, and Creator Own Heroes, all for free. 
for free. Their first issues, all for free on Comixology. Um, so it's a pretty that's a pretty great deal if you're looking to see if those are series you're interested in. But other than digitally, um, when you're looking for back issues, I mean, I know what Steve and I are going to say because we're going to say we'll go Rob's basement. But uh, <laughs> hi. <laughs> um, hi. But Bob, what do you think? Series that didn't sell well. Yeah. Those are the best things to find in comic stores because there are quarter boxes and discount boxes and sales. And if you're going to search, those boxes are generally not arranged well. There are all sorts of serendipitous things to find. I didn't know they did this or this guy early on in his career drew this. And it's just stand there and look and look and look and just absorb. And you get a history lesson just in the boxes. Cool. I mean, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I highly suggest if people go to their stores, if they have any discount boxes or quarter boxes, look through them. Uh, I think we have about 20 long boxes set up of quarter books <laughs> and people just come in and make a day of it. Uh, <laughs> that takes a good four or five hours to go through. Um, that's an excellent way to, to find stuff that you've never read before, fill in holes on series that, you know, that you just might need to, to fill in. Uh, just to check out stuff that you don't want to pay full price for. Um, so, yeah. just cool. Very cool. And Steve and I would say go to Rob's Basement. Rob's mm. Basement. And I, I definitely <laughs> agree about the bins. And, yeah. and also, find yourself a good comic shop. Mm-hmm. Because if your comic shop is good, they will have stuff like that that's mixed into mm-hmm. the racks that you can go, especially places that sell back issues. Because there are a few places that don't do that. Yeah, I could think of yeah. one on the island that does not. <laughs> um, I will say this too, and if you're really, if you really want to read a story, and the only place you can find it for a reasonable price is to get it digitally, just get it digitally and read the story because that's what's important is reading the story. Mm-hmm. If you're obsessed with getting the physical copy, that's one thing, and you can get that, and that's because you want it as a collector's item. But if there's a stories you want to read, if there's a lump of Superman stories you want to read or something, and they're available for ninety nine cents a piece. On digitally, and you have a way to read them comfortably yeah. digitally, and it would cost you, you know, fifty dollars to get them. Otherwise, just read them digitally because you want to read the stories, if, right? You know, well, you read them, you read them then, and then you can seek out a deal. Exactly, yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. Then you're not just you. You don't have that itch, you right. know. Then you can wait for a good price if you want them for your collection. You can make it happen. But I know sometimes for me, I I really want to read something really really badly, and it's almost like I'll just pay for it. We don't we know where it is, you know. Um, a, the digital thing is good because it gives you a chance to not worry about that and, and you can kind of be a little more patient with with your shopping. And that image thing you're talking about, that is, I hate to say it this way, but that's a schoolyard pusher thing. <laughs> yeah. Here's a sample. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's done in the right way. Yeah, he, he, yeah. Here you go. Here's something for $4 a book in the mm. store. If I don't know, do I want to get involved? But if I can check it out, I may go buy the book because mm. if I'm going to buy the second one, I'm going to want the first one physically. Yeah. So it's a win-win for them. Yeah, absolutely. And gets a lot of eyes on their books. That's just a great idea. Yes, especially with those early image issues, uh, the number ones especially, like uh, Chew number one, they're they're probably in their 20s right now. Chew number one is selling for about $400 on eBay. Wow. So no one's going to be able to walk in and and pick up that issue. Or or even like... uh, Morning Glory's number one is some ridiculous price. Uh, so pick up the trades. Mm. Don't worry about having to have each individual issue. Pick up the trades. Yeah, you yeah. know that. That's very good. Very good point. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, so thank you, everybody who wrote in. Obviously, info at talkingcomicbooks.com, at Talking Comics on Twitter. Um, we love to hear from you guys, so keep it coming. Um, so what's on the shelves today? Lots and lots and lots of mm-hmm. good stuff. Um, from Boom Studios, we have Clive Barker's Hellraiser, number 17. We have Higher Earth, number 4. Mm-hmm. Um, we oh, have Almost. Yeah, almost. Um, Steed and Mrs. Peel, number Yay! zero, yes. which is another Mark Wade book. Yes, it is. Um, so I'm going to have to pick that up. Cool. Oh, tell what a burden. Valen the Outcast, number eight. I love that name, though. Hmm. Valen the Outcast. <laughs> that uh, first issue was a dollar, and then they jacked up the price. <laughs> Ooh. Pusher, pusher, just like Bob yeah, just said. Uh, Dark, from Dark Horse, we have Angel and Faith, number 13. We have... Axe Cop, President of the World, number two. (laughs) Great book. We have BPRD, Hell on Earth, The Return of the Master, number one. We have Goon, number 41. Mass Effect Homeworlds, number four. Um, We have Star Wars, Darth Maul, Death Sentence, number two. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go on that. Uh, From DC Comics, we have American Vampire, number 30. We have Aquaman, number 12. Yay! We have Before Watchmen, Minutemen, number three. Mm, we have Detective Comics, Annual, number one. We have Diablo, number five of five. Diablo. We have Dominic Luvo, Voodoo Child, number six. Me. We have Flash, Annual, number one. Me. I will say, l- the last Flash issue was really great. Mm-hmm. I feel like it had been kind of just okay the last couple of months. But the last episode, episode, last issue was fantastic. It was a ton of all the all the rogues fighting. Uh-huh. So nice. it, it was it was a lot of fun. It looked beautiful. Um, Green Lantern Annual number one, Justice League number twelve, National Comics Looker number one, New Dead Wardians number six of eight, Phantom Lady number one of four, okay. uh, Spaceman number nine of nine, yeah. Superman Annual number one, Superman Family Adventures number four, um, and Young Justice number nineteen. Superman Family Adventures number one, actually, speaking of comicsology, uh, yesterday was Read Comics in Public Day. Yeah. And, and if you went to their. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that. And if you went to their Redeem on their website, you typed in hashtag uh, Read Comics in Public Day, you got a free copy of Superman Family Adventures number one. That's yeah. awesome. It's That's a little a great late. Book. It's a little uh, late to say that now, but I put it on our Twitter, so hopefully people saw it and got it. Um, oh, actually, um, they're, they're doing a printing of Foster number one. Uh, so an actual printing of it for people to buy. Very cool. Uh, Sweet. Uh, Dynamite, we have Bionic Woman, number three. I actually just went away from my list. There we go. Bionic Woman, number three. Green Hornet, number 27. Um, Lone Ranger, Snake of Iron, number two. <laughs> Lord of the Jungle, number seven. Pathfinder, number one. Oh, that's, that's an old one, sorry. Prophecy, number three. Red Sonia, number 68. Warlord of Mars, Deja Thoris, number 14, and Witchblade, Demon Reborn, number two. It's a big one um, for them. Dark. So from, I was reading, though, today from Dynamite, they're doing that Masks book in the fall, which is Alex Ross is doing all the interiors for it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, it's written by somebody big, too, right? Do you know who it is, Rob? Mm-mm. I can't remember who it is right now. I'm going to look it up while we're talking. Um, so from um, IDW, we have Dead World, War of the Dead, number, number five, actually, of five. Um, Dungeons and Dragons Forgotten Realms number three eh. we have <laughs> Ghostbusters number 12 I think just about you had any reaction <laughs> to the Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> book <laughs> uh, Godzilla number four uh, Lock and Key Grindhouse one Ooh. shot Ooh. Popeye number four Smoke and Mirrors number five of five <laughs> Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow number 16 uh, Doctor Who The Next Generation Doctor uh, Star-, Star Trek The Next Generation Doctor Who Assimilation 2 number four of eight um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles micro series number seven and trio number four. Yay! Cool. 
Um, from Image Comics, we have Debris, number two of four. Yeah. Grim Leaper, number four of four. Yeah. Morning Glory is number 21. Hooray! Mudman, number five. Cool. Prophet, number 28. Skull Kickers, number 17. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have Witchblade, number 159. And that's it from Image. Um, from Marvel, we have Avenging Spider-Man, number 11. Hooray. We have AVX Versus, number five. Yeah. Captain Marvel, number three. Yes. Really? Yeah. yeah. No way. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. FF number 21, Gambit number two, Bish. Hulk number 57, <laughs> Infernal Man Thing number three of three. The finish, yeah. Journey into Mystery number 642. Yes. Um, New Mutants number 48, Powers number 11, Ultimate Comics X Men number 15, Uncanny X Force number 30, mm. Web of Spider Man 129.2, mm. Winter Soldier number nine, Wolverine and the X Men number 15, Yay. and Extreme X Men number two. Mm. Rob? Chris Robertson. Chris Robertson, yes. right. Yes. Is writing the Masks book mm-hmm. uh, with Alex Ross. So that's pretty awesome. Um, uh, and from, sorry, from Valiant, we have Exo Man of War number four. Um, and that's it for this week's releases. Lots of good stuff on there. Lots of good stuff indeed. Um, on Friday, also, guys, we have an interview with Joe Eisma that will be up. Um, spoiler alert, we already did the interview. It was hey. awesome. Yeah, it was. It was awesome. <laughs> He's a really cool guy to talk to, and you guys should definitely listen to that on Friday. Um, we don't spoil anything for Morning Glory, so if you're not reading that book, you don't have to worry about that. Uh, but he talks in depth about kind of his process and the people who inspired him. Um, and, and he's just a really cool guy. So uh, check that out on Friday. Um, also, um, kind of a sister to this show, uh, on Saturday, bum, bum, Doctor bum, Who bum, 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 comes back. Bum, 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 bum. Uh, and so so does Doctor Who Cast, which is a podcast that I do with Brian Verderosa and um, Jackie Turner. Uh, and we're going to be starting that on Sunday. We actually do that live. It'll be live around 12.30 Eastern Standard Time Sweet. on mm. Sunday. So that's coming back, and we're pretty excited about that. Um, ton of articles and reviews going up on the site. Um, I spoke of Valiant before. Our Melissa Megan did a really great kind of recap of their Summer of Valiant and the reboot they've done on their universe. You guys should definitely check that out because it sounds like it's a really, really cool thing. Um, and of course, we're going to have a ton of reviews coming up and I'm sure we'll have articles flying up there. I'm working on something with Brian actually about the Rob Liefeld thing. So we're going to see how that goes. We're going to do a very journalistic approach, really <laughs> do a lot of research, ask for quotes from people. So we're, it's going to take a little while, but we're, we're working hard on it. So I think that's going to go up in the next week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so that's it. So we're actually, we're at Talking Comics on Twitter. Info at TalkingComicBooks.com is the email address, and TalkingComicBooks.com is obviously the website. Um, I'm at Bobby Shortle on Twitter. Steve is? Uh, at dead underscore anchorus. Um, Stephanie is, of course, at Hello Cookie. Um, Rob? Uh, at Dusk1020. Not Desk1020, like I said last week. Or Couch. <laughs> no. Or Couch. Yeah, yeah. D-U-S-K. Your evil, your evil twin, Desk1020. <laughs> 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 and Bob, email address. It's Bob Breyer at TalkingComicBooks.com. It is. All right. So that is it uh, for this week. Don't forget to listen on Friday for the Joe Eisman interview. It's pretty cool. And um, if you're picking up Morning Glories, pick up Morning Glories 21 because it's on the shelves right now. All right. So that is it for Talking Comics for Steve. Goodbye. Bob. One more thing. Oh, oh, right. Yes. One more Bob, thing. I, I forgot. The 28th of August would have been Jack Kirby's 95th birthday. There you go. So we wouldn't be here doing what we're doing if it wasn't for Jack Kirby. So Absolutely not. Best wishes to him in whatever Valhalla he's at. Mm. <laughs> um, so 
And I, we'll do it Another again. Another down note. We'll do it again. Yes. From Steve. Good night, everybody. Bob. Good night. And Rob. See you later. I've been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics, to be continued. <laughs>